Yo, people always ask me what kind of frames I'm rocking. I've been rocking Caddis for a couple years. They make amazing progressive readers, which I wear. Also, they make sunglass readers, anti-glare, anti-smudge coating, anti-scratch, and anti-aging. That's why I look mad young when I wear them. I'm just kidding. Um, but they make amazing frames. Caddis, so stoked to have you guys part of the podcast. You can go to caddislife.com slash Toby10 and get $10 off your first purchase. Stoked. Thank you, Caddis. Welcome to the fam. Yo, yo, Liquid Death. Thank you so much for hydrating all my guests taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water. Love your brand. Love what you stand for. Love you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. They have now blessed me with my own code. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. Yeah, Welcome fun. to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, my brother from another mother, Mr. Adam Blake, is next to me from <laughs> H2O. He had to be up here today. Hello, hello. He's a fan of the guest I we're am. having today. And he's got a lot of knowledge and he's got a lot of uh, health uh Questions probably. Yeah, have some. You're, you're, a have some. Of, you're, you're a man of an. Uh, I'm a man who wants to live shape. forever. Oh, Stephen like knows about PH too. We'll get to that too as well. We could. Okay. Well, Adam Blake, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Toby. And then in front of me, I have. This is the first time I've ever had a doctor on the podcast. I've done 160 episodes. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Andrew Huberman. I said it correct, correct? Correct. Professor of neuroscience, correct? Correct. correct. But also a punk rock skateboarder. 100%. <laughs> Thank you for being here, man. I'm really psyched to have you. Great to we've be been here. Talk, we've been like trying to make this happen for a while, and uh, it's nice to have you in my kitchen. Um, I great love to this, be here. Thank you. I love this podcast because my whole thing is like we're all connected somehow through music or skateboarding or something, like, and everybody's doing different things in the world. But we all have that kind of those roots together, you know? Yeah. I would say before I was a biologist and a scientist, et cetera. Uh, my first non-biological family was the skateboarding punk rock community. I love that, man. And still is. Still is. And still is. Uh, as you know, and many people listening know, you know, once it's in you, it's in you. Yes. And once you're in it, you're in it. Then um, For life. <laughs> and uh, I have great admiration and respect for the people who've kept the torch going. Yeah. And um, I'm fortunate enough to still be in touch with some of them. Yeah. yeah. And so, and how did you get into that? Let's, let's go back to, obviously you were born in Palo Alto, correct? Yeah. So born and raised in Palo Alto, the, the joke I always make is I was born at Stanford Hospital. I did my training at Stanford. I work at Stanford. I'll probably die at Stanford, <laughs> uh, but hopefully a long time from now. So, and when people hear Palo Alto, they think, okay, Silicon Valley, really yeah. wealthy community. Um, we were not poor. We were not rich. We were just kind of in the, in the middle there. Um, uh, so my dad's from South America. My mom's from the East Coast, I met in New York City, moved to Palo Alto, had me and my sister. And growing up, uh, you know, my dad's a scientist, so I was exposed a little bit to science. He's a physicist. And the long and short of it is that um, pretty standard upbringing for a suburb, Northern California kid, played some soccer, did some swim team, that kind of thing. And then my parents split up when I was about 13. Yeah. Really high conflict situation, unfortunately. Um, great people, love them, but... Um, Sort of like they took a look at the rule book of all the things not to do in a divorce situation, basically did every single one of them. Um, and and it sent uh, our family into a very different direction. So my wow. dad moved out and away, so I didn't see him for a long time. 
Right. Um, my mom was at home and, uh, without getting into it too deeply, you know, a lot of kind of challenges and mental health issues cropped up. So pretty quickly yeah. I stopped going to school, um, dropped out, uh, no, just went truant just, but, um, and basically because my friends were kind of early days of skateboarding or were playing water polo, I just started hanging out with skateboarders Yeah, and we started taking the 7F bus up to the Embarcadero the now infamous EMB. Okay. This is Justin Herman Plaza in the late eighties, early nineties, um, which was its own little city run by a bunch of young dudes, yeah. in particular a guy named James Kelch, who was kind of considered the mayor. Um, I can say this cause I like James and fortunately he was nice to me, but it was a little bit like the Washington square park okay. or love park in Philadelphia gotcha. community of kids. Um, amazing skateboarding. Um, some amazing people who are extremely kind, like, the great Jim Thebo, who still Thibault, I'm still in touch with amazing, generous gyms. Like Agreed. basically for those that don't know, skateboarding is, um, forever indebted to Jim. He's a quiet guy, but does so much for skateboarding and skateboarders. Sweetheart. So I fell into that whole community. I want to be very clear at the outset. I was not a very good skateboarder. <laughs> I tried hard. I tried hard, got hurt a lot, but, um, you know, my friends quickly became people in that community. Yeah. So, uh, what was and, your best trick? Mm, you know, I always had a solid heel flip. My nice. kick flip. I can't do that. Yeah, yeah my nice. heel flip was always solid. Anything <laughs> nolly more than ollie. So I don't know. A little, I'm like a dyslexic skateboarder. Okay. Like, off the nose, I'm better than off the tail. But Were you doing um, rails and shit like that or stairs? Not, or? not so much. So I wasn't like, you know, I hit puberty late. So when, you know, I had friends, including my good friend Paul Zwanich, who went pro pretty quickly for Planet Earth and Think off a sponsor me tape. So I got to see a lot of friends do really well. Some amazing skateboarding. I struggled to keep up. I think um, my body didn't get stronger until later. It was okay. weird. I grew up, I grew tall. I was real skinny and I was always hurting myself, breaking my feet, this and that. Wow. And then it wasn't until much later that I was in my like mid twenties that my body started to fill out and I kind of felt my uh, body catch up to where my mind was. In my mind, wow. I was a great skateboarder, what? but I couldn't make it happen. What causes uh, that late puberty stuff like that? Yeah, this is kind of interesting. So um, if you think about development, your whole life is one long developmental arc. We always think about like childhood, infancy, adolescence, teenage years, and being an adult. Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, your development lasts your entire lifespan. And some people, their puberty goes on a lot longer. So uh, puberty has a bunch of different stages. Yeah. You know, when you hear the term like, oh, somebody's balls drop, but basically, yeah. you know, like um, girls start menstruating. That's one thing. Yep. But um, guys, basically, they're, <laughs> literally their, their testicles descend at some point early in life. And then... Um, they start cranking out testosterone at some point, but they, the so-called, and this is a medical term, secondary sex characteristics, um, things like beard growth, things like change of the shape of your skeleton, things mm -hmm. like muscle growth, tendon growth. For some people that happens really quickly. Like we all know that kid that over summer comes back and you're like, it's a grown man. Totally. <laughs> what happened? Totally. Um, and then there are the kids like me where, you know, I hit puberty around 13, 14, but then some of the later stage development of my body getting stronger yeah. didn't actually occur until like my early twenties. So it was wow. a long protracted puberty. Um, and so as my body got stronger, I got better at athletics. Later I got into boxing and tie boxing and things, but to go back to the skateboarding thing, you know, I tried, I tried, I wasn't that good. I think, um, I know that, uh, like the folks over at, uh, deluxe, uh, Spitfire yeah. Wheels and Thunder. They put me on out of sympathy on the flow team. <laughs> like, purely out of sympathy. There's a guy, Steve Ruge, Shrugi. Um, and I remember one time he pulled me aside and he said, um, 
he's sober now, but back then he, he talked like this for other reasons. He was like, man, you're never going to be one of the big guys. So don't even try. And wow. I was like, oh, man, it broke my heart. <laughs> yeah, but it was actually a good thing to hear because, you know, back then there was this obsession over sponsorship yeah, and everyone was kind of murdering themselves to get good. And he was basically encouraging me to just have fun. Yeah. And, um, so I stayed with the skateboarding thing for a while and then eventually moved out of it. Um, got into Thai boxing, got a girlfriend and got into some other things as time went on. But those years between about 13 and 19, I basically didn't go to school. I was wow. moved from one, <clears throat> excuse me, from one school to the next. I was removed um, and put behind lock and key for a while for some behavior that I'm not proud of. So you're um, a wild kid. I was a wild kid. And then I was let back into school on the condition that I would talk to this therapist counselor at school. And that was very helpful in getting me realigned. But yeah. you know, about a third of the kids I grew up with and knew through Embarcadero and other things, South Bay skateboarders and punk rockers have companies have done really well are doing incredibly well. About a third of them have families and are living a kind of standard life, but not still involved in skateboarding. Yeah. And then I would say about a third, as you guys probably know too, are dead or in jail, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, what I realize is that it is and was an amazing community, but you really have to have your head screwed on straight because skateboarding, unlike other sports and activities, is a sport where you're, you know, you're 13 years old and you're hanging out with people that are in their 20s and That's 30s. True. So, and so I'll never forget, we went to the Reno Nationals in 1990. A bunch of us got into a car and went, faked a bunch. Don't do this, kids. Fake, <laughs> faked notes from our parents and just went. And I remember doing that and thinking, I was like, oh, I got away with something. And I remember a couple guys who are actually now very well-known pro skateboarders saying like, well, why'd you even bother? You just go. You know, I mean, yeah. there was just no mindset around, around, you know, taking care of responsibilities. But went out there um, to Reno and just, we just stayed. We just decided to just stay and, and skateboard and had wow. fun. So there are a lot, there are a million stories and adventures, but look, I, I always think of, oh, and I guess the point was on that trip is where I first got exposed to like everything. Cause I, at Embarcadero people drank uh -huh. and people partied a little bit, but it was on that trip that, you know, I saw everything and everything in every domain of life. It was <laughs> like, wow, like th there's a lot that happens in this world that I didn't know happens. And I was lucky that um, drugs and alcohol have never really been my thing. Yeah. Never really liked them, you know? Um, and so could take it or leave it. Yeah. But for other people, you know, they have that genetic predisposition or for them it provides a kind of soothing that nothing else can provide. And, you know, those are the people that end up, you know, falling in love with it at first yeah. and then it takes them down from the ankles, you know? 100%. And so in any case, um, skateboarding and in parallel to that, the punk rock scene, which we could talk about, uh, for me, I've always been a place that I felt immediately welcomed. Yeah. I love it. Like, I love every aspect about it. I, even to this day, like, I'll love watching Jimmy Wilkins skate vert, love watching Guy Mariano skate street, love watching, you know, all the yeah. guys. There's so many names and so, so many keep people. Up with it. Yeah. To, and to me, you know, even though I couldn't do any of the things that I see, I can feel it in my body when I watch. Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's a feeling. 100%. And the same thing I'd say about punk rock music. It's like the first time I heard a stiff little fingers track it was like nice. oh, you know it's were you I, young were you super young when you heard punk rock stuff yeah so the um the origin of that is actually i went to skate camp okay. um out in visalia except um don't do this kids um <laughs> but uh we didn't pay to go to skate camp we okay. just went we just, like, we just went we just like up. showed up and like skateboarded right That's i was awesome. i was friends with this kid lavar mcbride who ended up doing pretty well in skateboarding um for a while and we just went and 
on the way there, there was this guy, unfortunately he passed away. His name is Wally Suyashi. I met him through Jim Thibault. Okay. And he gave me, a, at the time it was cassettes, and he gave me a Crimp Shrine cassette. I love Crimp Shrine. I don't know if I know that band. You know Crimp, Crimp Shrine? Shrine? They're no, like an East Bay band. band. They have some okay. All right, sorry, Crimp Shrine, but there's no, some terrible songs. Out, yeah. There's okay. some terrible songs, like Butterflies and stuff, like <laughs> East Bay Peace Punk stuff that if New Yorkers heard, they would have just like thrown Was it garbage. like Squatter Punk, stuff like that? Was no, like... it was kind of in the genre of like Downfall. Okay. Like Tim and, and those guys, you know, which okay. I love Downfall. Okay. Amazing. If if you can hunt down good downfall tracks online, like it's well worth the time for. They're like a local band. You talk. It was like Rancid Op Ivy. Downfall, I think, was between Op Ivy and Rancid for Tim and Matt. Um, They be schooling me on that. Yeah, and I don't know those guys. You know, I've never met them. I know Lars. I did some later. I went and worked for Thrasher. We can get to that. Nice. But but basically, I was at skate camp, and Wally gave me this Stiff Little Fingers tape, and I was like, wow. Because I had listened to ACDC and Zeppelin and stuff like that. And I always felt like the songs, it worked, but it didn't work for me. Yeah. I'm not like a rocker, yeah. you know. And then I heard that and it was, you know, if you if you understand, you understand. It, it, it sent chills down my spine and it made me want to just like skateboard and move. And yeah. it just made me feel like me. Totally. It, and... It, you know, even now as I describe it, I can still feel it. So, of course. Like, you know, so there was that. And then that opened up the door to things like Operation Ivy. And then that opened up the door to Minor Threat. And then that opened it and on and on and on. Yeah. And to this day, um, I would say I'm 46 years old right now. I would say for maybe a hundred days out of my entire life, there hasn't been uh, Rancid or Stiff Little Fingers or Bouncing Souls cool. or H2O. Thank no, you, man. no joke. Or. Awesome. Um, you know, I'm a big Murray and the Disasters fan, Street Dogs fan. Yeah. I love the Boston bands. Like, you know, shout out to Roger, man. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and there has there, not a day has gone by where that stuff hasn't been flooding into life. my into my nervous system. So, wow. so cool. all the years that I was eventually, I got I kind of tripped and fell back into science through a number of different <laughs> things. But through all the years, right? If I was going to give a seminar, if I was in laboratory doing experiments late or if I was driving to the lab or if I'm getting ready to podcast or something that's that stuff's there you know and I'm a big collector too so I collect a lot of actually rare photographs okay of um punk rockers in (laughs) that you won't find anywhere else okay yeah and I'm a huge huge Joe Strummer fan nice I know I lose punk points for saying this why but I'm not a clash fan Oh, wow. I know, I know. It may it's have like, to be a deduction. Yeah, I, I think it, yeah. It's, it's interesting, though. Yeah, from the bridge. Oh, you like his solo stuff. But I love the Mescaleros. Okay. And I love what Joe stood for. Totally. And I just, man, I could just listen to Joe talk all day. Yeah. Even though yeah. half the time I don't understand what he's saying. Yeah, totally. um, there's something about, uh, I, asked a, I asked a friend of his recently, um, what was it? Like, what do you think it was about his voice? Someone who helped produce some of his music later on and I was like is it the timbre of his voice or something and he said you know there's something about Joe's voice when he spoke and when he sang that it's like his whole life was like packaged into yeah. it even yeah. though he wasn't talking about that yeah. and I don't even know what that means I'm not a musician no but still no I musical exactly talent what you mean though yeah there's something about like that the, he has this kind of like arc of entire life to him so a uh, huge strummer fan I mean I could go on and on you never um, wanted to play music or be in a band I have no musical ability okay <laughs> I I have an amazing ability to remember lyrics. Okay. So, but I have no sense of how music works or is structured. Mm. Like it means nothing to me. It, it's an immersion thing. Like you have to do it. 
to yeah. figure out if you can do it. I know that seems like sort of like a like a yeah. riddle, but it takes so long to develop the physical capacity to move your fingers and and, True. and sync your body up to do the thing that you got to put like a good six to 12 months in of just sucking and being ready to suck <laughs> before you even know if you're going to be any good or not. Well, That's what's, true. Well, what's funny is, I, oh man, this is embarrassing, but well, yeah. <laughs> well, you said it's one life, one chance, right? Yes. Now, it's my one, now it's my one chance. When I was a postdoc, so in, eventually what happened was I went off to, I lived in Santa Barbara. I followed my high school girlfriend off to Santa Barbara. Um, actually, we met that okay. summer of 1994. Out here. Okay, and so I was living in Santa Barbara. Um, in a, I was just squatting because she went to UC Santa Barbara. I moved out there. I went for two quarters, got thrown out for fighting. Okay. Didn't go to class. Just so you were that kind of wild kid. I was just okay. Don't do it, kids. <laughs> you get the opportunity to get an education. Get an edu- I'm a college professor at Stanford now, so just incredible. get an education if you have the opportunity. I like learning. I was just I was in a not a healthy place. Okay. Um, living in this little squat with my ferret. And, and the reason I decided to live there was all these other college kids were like, oh, paying rent for the summer and doing all that stuff. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like all of the windows are unlocked here. You know, <laughs> wow. you just, just like pull up and find Who's a place. Straight up squatting. So I was just squatting. She had moved home. I've got, you know, she and I were like Sid and Nancy, right? Like we would fight and like the whole town knew us as like this couple to just stay away from. Damn. Great girl, but I just didn't have the maturity. And so we were, we were uh, separated <laughs> at that point. I was living there with my ferret, getting into fights. It was just terrible. And, um, Damn. How are you surviving? I delivered bagels for a little shop called the Bagel Cafe. Okay. I knew how to drive, but I didn't know how to drive the truck that they had. Like I knew how to drive a manual, but I told them I knew how to drive it. So, and then I paid this, um, this awesome Mexican dude that worked there to help teach me how to drive the truck. And when we got back from that first delivery, he was white as a sheep, (laughs) you know, because I didn't understand that you couldn't like pump the clutch while you're going downhill. I got the hang of it pretty quickly. Yeah. And so I was delivering bagels in the morning (laughs) and, um, and that summer you and, uh, must've been H2O. You came through with rancid. Okay. So this would be right before the outcome. The wolves album came out. You guys played a place that's, I think was called the stage coach or the stage house, which was along these train tracks in downtown. Okay. I went there, saw that the show had to stop once or twice because a bunch of these like neo-Nazi skin guys oh, showed shit. up. Because at that time they thought anyone, anyone that had a mohawk or something in suspenders was like them, and like they couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. Right? Um, and God, can I tell this story? This is about to get uh, PG thirteen. <laughs> no. And you were there, and I was like, oh my god, that's like the East Coast guys to me. Oh, I always had a lot of respect and a little bit of fear of back then. Everybody says it on this yeah. podcast. Well, it's but, so crazy. Well, because now, you know, everyone's got tattoos yeah, and piercings. Back then. Stuff. But back then, yeah. if you saw a guy like, like eventually I got to know, we're not friends, but we're friendly. Like I got to know Roger Murray. Yeah. When I did some stuff for Thrasher, I did some stuff on Disasters. Dope. Huge Disasters fan. But, you know, I was like a kid still. I was 19 years old, tall, skinny kid. I wasn't shy, you know, and I was like, yeah, I could like fight in California, but not in New York. <laughs> um, and, and I... You know, and I remember meeting Murray once and walking up to him for Agnostic Front, and he's like, Glow. and you're like, whoa, yeah. that's like a grown man. Yeah. And he's he's gnarly. For and sure. his neck is like my bulldog's neck. And the guy, <laughs> I don't think he lifts weights, but the guy's got like a 20-inch neck. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, he's, you know, he's got hands like. Mm. Yeah. And so I remember talking to you, and you you and um, 
you and Lars were cracking it up about some bathroom incident about okay. projectile feces. Mm, there we go. Yes. It's been talked about on the podcast. Yes. It's all good. And, and I was like, what's happening here? And you guys were just laughing, having a good time. And because I was from the Bay Area, um, and I know guys from the South Bay, San Jose area, where, where Lars is near, he's from Campbell, right? Yeah, but, Campbell, yeah. Um, said, what's up? You guys were super cool. So I remember that show. Awesome. And then, of course, those guys blew up. And I'm a huge Rancid fan. Yeah, like, me too, like man. I mean, if... if I mean, honestly, like if I had to pick one thing that I would listen to over and over, that would be it. In fact, I have one track that only like true Rancid fans will know that's on my phone. And I always have it ready on a plane that if the plane goes down, I'm going to listen to that track. Wow. That's Cause I amazing. Because I figure you got to be ready. What song? The yeah. Sentence. What's it called? The Sentence. I don't even know that either. Yeah. Which album is that from? Um, it's a B-side. Wow. Yeah. Dude. And it's Tim and it's like super gnarly. I'm not going to attempt to sing it, but it's just like, it's, it's super raw. And I love, so I love the that's, sentence. That's your plane crash song? That's my plane crash song. <laughs> that's a great plan. We need, plan. Need we need to Just get those songs. Just in case, right? I don't what, know how to fly a plane. What's your favorite Rancid record? Uh, you know, I was trying to think. Here's the thing. I can't answer that. We know ours. Easy. I yeah. can't answer that because every single one of them Special tracks to a particular like four to five year period of my life. Gotcha. And those guys are about five years older than me. Yeah. And I... I've only met Lars a couple times just because I did some articles for Slap and Thrasher yeah. on bands and um, when I was a postdoc to make a little bit of extra cash and mostly just because out of reverence for an appreciation. Totally. Um, but those guys are about five years older and I just felt like of all the bands, like their look and the like chemistry of that band, like if you had to design a punk rock band, right? You'd be like, okay, one hawked up like street punk guy. Yeah. Tim, you get like some greaser dude at the time it was Brett, right? Totally. You know, and then you get like Sort of like a hot rod guy who's kind of like a straight man, even Matt. And then you get Lars, you get a guy who basically looks like he came over from Europe and was just like, you know, that's a great, give him a gold tooth just cause. (laughs) And, um, and so to me, they just the the variety of sounds and the fact that they trade up who sings on tracks and like the melodies are great too, man. But to me, I think like if I had to pick a number two song, so I can't really pick um, albums, but if I had to pick a number two song out of them, I do like it when Matt sings. So My wife does too. like super Big gravelly, fan. like, and um, rejected. I'm a ghost dance. That song ghost dance. What is that one from? B side. Damn, bro. This guy's yeah. deep. deep. No, I mean like, like this, <laughs> <laughs> that's an amazing song. Okay. Yeah. It's an amazing song. The sentence is an amazing song. That's an amazing song. Wow. Um, I love rejected man with yeah. Matt. Oh my God. So gnarly. I'll come to Wilson. Yeah. Me, obviously. Yeah. It's yeah. That was a big record. part. Yeah. We were playing shows with them back First then. note to last, man. Yeah. Every note is perfect. It's perfect, dude. Perfect. Yeah. So you're, so you're a musician. Though. So like you can hear the music for me, it's mostly lyric based unwritten rules off that first band. Okay, okay. Kick, kick, drum. You know, so, so, so good. You know um, all their songs. You know all the in, all in my head, all by heart. And, wow. and to be honest, it's, it's, you know, this sounds really corny. Now, if I ever meet them, I'm going to be embarrassed, but whatever. Um, one life, one chance. Yes, um, right. But, uh, you know, it is like, it, they have written like the soundtracks for my life. They're not, a, yeah. not like my life, the, the life itself, but just throughout my entire lifespan, like, I listen to them. Yeah. I listen to some Bob Dylan. So nice. You know, and um, yeah, what else do you need? H2O. That, <laughs> that Life on Way record is great too. Yeah. Man. I love Copper. That's an amazing. All that Copper is all those an, songs. And, and, it, song. and it is amazing how certain music just gets in your DNA. And then yes. you put it on and you're that guy again from yeah. the guy you were right. five or it's six so years true, ago. Man. Well, there's neuroscience right there. to this, right? There is, right? I mean, when, you know, 
without doing the deep dive on brain science, I mean, your brain is basically a prediction machine. It's always making predictions. So like, this is the first time I'm here at your house, make certain predictions about where things are. When you're a little kid, you learn that things fall down, not up, you know, yeah. you learn which dogs in the neighborhood are safe, which ones are killers like Stella here, yeah. you know? Um, and you, your brain is always trying to just get rid of an analyzing information so you can just move through life. Cause otherwise you'd look at every detail. So when you hear something that really speaks to you and you feel something around it, your brain flips on a switch. This switch is called neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change in response to experience. And it stamps down a map of how you felt in that particular circumstance. Wow. And that acts as a trigger. And those triggers are, can be positive. They call that um, conditioned place preference. So like if something good happens in a particular place, you like going back there. If something bad happens, they call it conditioned place avoidance. You know, if you've ever traveled to a new city and you and your car got broken into or something, you kind of dislike big parts of the trip in the so city. Yeah. I mean, there was wow. one instance that could happen anywhere. Yeah. If you're in San Francisco, it'll definitely happen to you because right now <laughs> the car break-ins are out of control. But, you know, this conditioning is, is really how we're built. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of parts of our brain that are designed to keep us breathing and our heart beating and our digestion that work the same in everybody, basically. Yeah. Um, and you need to take care of and all that. Um in order to keep those systems healthy. But at the end of the day, your brain and your brain is a map of your experience. Yeah. And, um, and I keep that in mind a lot because you know, when you encounter people or things that you have resonance with and familiarity, like here we're talking about bands and songs that yeah. we love and you feel kinship when you, and then you run into somebody who has an opinion or a political stance or something that's very different than yours. It's like, it's like you're talking to someone of a different species, mm -hmm. but actually you, you are you're literally looking at the world through a completely different lens. Mm. You're not seeing and hearing the same things in the same ways. And so that makes, you know, life interesting. Sometimes yeah. it makes life complicated, but, um, but yeah, it's in, once it's in you, it's in you. Yeah. And the music that you listen to when you're in those formative years, it really gets into you because neuroplasticity is available through the whole lifespan, but it's really from that age of about 12 to 25 okay. that identity and personality become what they are you know it's rare as an adult for someone to say like who am i like who am i like you you probably have words to put your you know husband father punk rocker yeah, yeah, yeah. vegan podcaster etc <laughs> yeah. we just met but musician yeah. punk rocker yeah. Yeah. i mean brit you know of you so you know you have you have your identity you probably don't sit around going like who am i but the reason why kids and teenagers ask that is that personality is being established through the things that you do and the things you interact with. Yeah. So in that way, like last time I stepped on a skateboard was probably eight months ago, but am I a skateboarder? Yeah, absolutely. It's still, yeah. it's still, it's <laughs> wired into me. Yeah. Right. 100%. I'm used to having my feet going that way and my body going yeah. forward. Um, so in any case, the, you know, skateboarding punk rock music to me, it's, 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 it's a part of everything I do. Yeah. Um, our podcast, basically we have a photographer and a guy that does all the, visuals on it mike blayback he's a skateboard photographer for dc nike skateboarding all that's that awesome. the reason went to him and the reason the track our opening track is actually hope i don't get in trouble for this is actually <laughs> um it's a couple chords off of a of a joe strummer song okay called burning lights um so we ripped that off um <laughs> but we changed the chords you're enough good. that if you we're change good. the chords you're good i think we're yeah. good everyone um, rips off everyone yeah. in music it's okay okay all right um so you know i think that for me, it's threaded into everything I do. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I have the sentence queued up on my, on my, uh, on my phone in case the plane starts to go down. If they're like, look, this is it. It's a, yeah. 
I mean, I'd probably make a call or two, send a few texts, and then I'm just plugging in, and I'm I'm gonna just smile, smile. I, never, I never thought about a song for that. No, moment. we we gotta get I one. We get fly a, a lot. We need yeah. to get some songs. I yeah. try to rock like super mellow stuff when I'm flying, just like stuff that makes me happy. You know what I mean? I yeah. Nothing aggressive and yeah. crazy, but well, you're stuck know. in a seat. I know. Like, <laughs> what are you gonna do? You yeah. gotta um, chill out. Well, if you if you show your tattoos and you're like and you're you know. <laughs> Shaking your head like you scare the person next to you, but you get some seat room next to you. That's true. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's true. Um, so when you so you dropped out of school and you you had no thoughts of being a scientist like your dad. Okay, so you know what you wanted to do? So in those years, I was really in resistance to you know I was like I don't want to be anything like my dad because of that. We eventually reconciled. You were rebelling against. I was rebelling against everything, but at the same time, like you were a want, smart kid, obviously. I mean, I could always remember things pretty well, and I was always hungry for knowledge. So I loved to read. So in those skateboarding years, I remember meeting Jim Thebo being at Deluxe and sorry, Jim, I'm going to embarrass him, but he wrote some poetry and I bought those poetry books and he was like, you should write, you know, you should read. He said, you know, you should read. He told me to read Bukowski, which isn't, you know, kind of angry for a young kid to read. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I always was a pretty rabid consumer of knowledge. I like nonfiction a lot, but also fiction. Yeah. So I was reading, um, and I don't want to give the picture that I was really angry. Like I wasn't a bad person to run into on the street. I wasn't going to steal your stuff. I was a nice kid. I just had a lot of anger and sadness and frustration. Was this after the divorce? No, this was during all of it. Okay. And, and also, you know, there was a, there were a number of things that just made me grow up real quick. All of a sudden I had a girlfriend, you know, driver's license and a job and I wasn't going to school I didn't drop out. I just kind of left. Yeah. And then... Were your grades good there, though? You know, I managed to graduate um, through the help of some other students who really helped me figure it out. You know, I last minute before an exam, I was like, you know, what do I need to know kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. And I, I really don't condone that, you know, because what happened was went off to Santa Barbara, was just living there and around. The girlfriend got smart and was like, this guy's just getting in fights. He's a loser, you know, and, um, and loved her. So she moved... Uh, sorry... Yeah, she moved back for the summer. There was one kind of big melee fight that happened on 4th of July there where I got away fine, but I realized I was going to end up dead or in jail, right? Because it started to escalate. At first it was fist fights, then it was knives, then it was, you know, and and, you know, once knives come out, you you know, more people die of stabbings than of shootings, right? Because just the way that stabbings happen. So I, I wised up that summer and I realized, okay, this is, this picture is terrible. How old were you then? I was 19. Okay. Um, you know, baggy cargo shorts, you know, the skateboard thing, you know, shuffling around. I think we're getting the picture with yeah, the young Yeah, dude. exactly. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it was, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be a, a pro skateboarder, right? I wasn't very good. I was delivering bagels at the bagel cafe. I was squatting in place with my ferret. The girlfriend had left and I realized that no one's really going to care. Like this story isn't very interesting. Mm. You know, it, at one point, it made sense to me to do, to do the things I was doing. And then all of a sudden I realized nobody's going to care. And so what I did is I moved home, which was awful for certain reasons. And I put myself into community college. So I had graduated high school. I mean, yeah. so I went to community college and I worked like a maniac. It was black coffee, water, working out, running, studying. That's the life right just, there. I, mean, the you know, I just right went, there. I just sick. went full, full immersion. And to be honest, I was scared. It was just pure fear. It was like, yeah. you know, and also I loved the girl and she broke your heart. Well, you know, she was sort of like, get your act together, you know? And you know, she was pretty loyal considering the way I behaved. Um, but I loved the girl and it's like, I couldn't, 
afford a car. I couldn't do anything. I was like, I need to get some resources. You know, I need to, I need to actually make something of myself so that I'd be the kind of person that I would want to be around, let alone somebody else. Yeah. So I started, I discovered pretty quickly that I have a pretty intense work drive, you know, and from that point on, from 19 on, it was 100% about building a life, awesome. you know, and were you in shape before that? Were you at, um, were you like a workout guy? I, you know, skateboarders didn't exercise. So I remember um, no. <laughs> that that next year when I was home, a lot of the guys I grew up skateboarding with, even though a couple of them were really smart, didn't go to college. They were they had pro skateboard contracts at that point. So Phil Shaw, Paul Zwanich, some people will recognize these names. They were all skateboarding and hanging out at home. Um, and to be honest, and I think they've Phil unfortunately died in a drunk driving uh, oh, wow. car accident. Um, yeah, really tragic. Great skateboarder. Very smart guy. Put himself through Berkeley oh. despite having very limited resources. Um, but, you know, a lot of my friends back home were getting into harder drugs. I don't yeah. want to name names because they're kind of known in various communities now. But getting into heroin speed, that kind of thing, again, never appealed to me. And so I really distanced myself from that community. Yeah. Because to me, even though it was a beautiful community around skateboarding and punk rock music, for me, it was associated with a lot of dysfunction and not knowing what to do. So I kept with the music. I stopped skateboarding. I started running a lot. So I'd run around the hills in, in the South Bay where I was living at that time. And I would just study. And then I got into weightlifting and tie boxing. So I got, okay. you know, I had a lot of aggression. And I discovered that martial arts was a good thing to do until I started getting hit in the head. And then I, <laughs> yeah. and then I realized, you know, probably not a good idea to, I'm not going to be a professional fighter, so it's not worth getting hit in the head. Um, I did well in school, although I must say that I sweat blood to catch up. I mean, there, there were entire gaps in my understanding of, of math, of biology, of, of anything. Yeah. I mean, I could spell, read and write, but um, it was challenging. And Eventually, I decided to go back to Santa Barbara and enroll at UC Santa Barbara. So I went back to UC Santa Barbara, and I started working in a laboratory. I um, got synced up with a guy. His name was Harry Carlisle, who worked on thermal regulation, so just how your body regulates temperature and metabolism. Yeah. And uh, he was an instructor, and I loved what he was teaching. And he was teaching about mental health in one of his courses, talking about schizophrenia and depression and anxiety and addiction, but not from the psychology side, telling me about neurotransmitters and genes that make people more prone to addiction. I thought, wow, like this explains why I could take alcohol or leave it. Yeah. Drugs never interested me, but I had friends and it was like the first time they smoked a joint, it was, it was, you know, marijuana all day. And then a year later they're a junkie. Yeah. You know, there was something there and I know that trauma can play a big role in it, but you know, our good friend, Rich Roll, yes. he'll tell you, yeah, he had some issues in his childhood, but it was really the first time he took a sip of alcohol that he just felt like the place he needed to be. Yeah. And it grabbed him and yanked him down totally. until fortunately he's been sober a long time. An amazing pillar for the, yes. you know, for sobriety. Love you, Rich Roll. Yeah, love you, Rich Roll. Thank you. Um, for, and read Rich's book years later and it's an amazing book, right? Finding Ultra. So, you know, so once I locked into science and realized I'm actually, I've got a strong work drive. I'm not the you know, the smartest person in any room, but I can remember things and work hard. Yeah. Um, I was it. And I thought, well, the one problem here is my dad's a scientist and I can't stand him. And so I don't want to be a scientist. <laughs> and then I realized how stupid that mindset was. Yeah. And it actually was at that point that he and I started to reconcile. And I'm fortunate that my dad and I have a really good relationship. It's awesome. Yeah. It's taken a lot of work, but did you, you know, feel pressure from him back then? None. He was out of the picture. 
You know, so like a lot of kids grow up in Palo Alto and they get a lot of pressure because of the academic intensity. In fact, the high school I went to, Gunn High School, is infamous because has the greatest number of suicides of any high school in the country. Kids were throwing themselves on the train tracks throughout the 2000s. There have been dozens, at least a dozen suicides. Wasn't like a black tar epidemic out there too? I spoke at a school there once and uh, one of the uh, quarterbacks had just died from that and I was told not to mention it. And that was the only school I ever spoke at where four, three to four or five people raised their hand and told me they didn't believe me. I was straight edge. They didn't believe anything I said. They called me out in front of the whole audience. It was it, like the biggest crowd I've ever spoken to. And it was there. Wow. And you can look out, out the back of the school. You can look over the mountains into the ocean. It was so beautiful out there. Oh, that's over the hill. I know where you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's close by. It was, a, it was like a different world out there. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> the, yeah, the school I went to is very academically rigorous. But because my parents were not really in the mode of parenting during high school, I felt no pressure. Okay. I went to class when I wanted to. I was yeah. truly more interested in the curbs out front <laughs> and girls than slappies on the curb. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I was like really interested in the curbs out front <laughs> and this girl who was a year older than me, like you know, who was who you know, frankly, was really hot, and I wanted to date her. And that it, that was my girlfriend. It took okay. some work, by the way, folks. It wasn't just <laughs> it wasn't an automatic. Um, and uh, so even though you were learning and you were enjoying it, you still, yeah. it was a part of you like, yeah, I want to be like my dad in a sense. No, you know, there was this part which was resistant, thinking that the problems of my family somehow were related to the career choice or something, which is just stupid. It's, you know, in yeah. science, one of the first things you learn is correlation isn't causation. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had a great opportunity to make a life for myself in science and academics. And I'd be an idiot if I didn't take it because, you know, I, I have a hard work capacity, but I have no natural talents as an athlete or musician or anything else. And so I talked to this professor and he said, you know, you seem to have the right mindset for it. If you get your degree, you can go to graduate school and they'll pay you. So unlike a lot of graduate programs, like in journalism and stuff where you pay, when you go in the sciences, they, they pay you not much. It's, you're basically below the poverty line, but, <laughs> but they pay you. And so I went to graduate school, first at Berkeley, then at UC Davis, got my PhD. And through those years, what was fun to just tie it in with the punk rock thing is, again, I thought you know, I was making... I think as a graduate student, my first year, I made $17,500. Wow. But I thought, why would you pay rent if you can just live in the lab, right? <laughs> I just squat in the lab. You know, I had a little refrigerator, work out at the gym, shower at the gym, save money for other things like going to shows. Still that punk um, rock mentality, it, yeah. The first weekend I was at Berkeley, I went and saw, I think it was Rancid and was it, who's the, um, the drummer for Lars and the Bastards that also played for some ska band? Mm, Agrilites? It, no, oh, that was that. the last time. But it was Rancid at the Greek, and they played. This was 98. So this oh, was okay. Life Won't Wait Tour. Wow. Can't remember. Broner? Broner? Oh, anyway. Um, went to that show. So I went to that show. And I remember thinking, my life is finally on track. Because I'm in graduate. I, I managed to graduate from Santa Barbara with very good marks and honors, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Which just is the reflection of having applied myself. I yeah, lived. Yeah. I lived alone. No drinking, no drugs. After my first year, I just went pretty much straight edge. It was just black coffee, working out, studying. Sick. And uh, the girlfriend and I reunited and broke up about five or ten more times <laughs> before she finally moved home. But then, it, you know, I was super focused on school. And, and then I get into graduate school in that first week, and I thought, wow, like I barely finished high school. There were some moments over the years, the preceding decade, where it wasn't clear that I was going to make it in life, end up dead or in jail, yeah. or just kind of nothing. And here I am, I'm a PhD student at Berkeley, and I get to see Rancid play at Berkeley. <laughs> so one of my favorite feelings in the world 
to this day. And I had that experience there. And then later at Davis and then a few other times is when you can walk from your house to a show. Sick. There's something really special about that. Cause there's something about walking home after a show yeah, yeah, yeah. as opposed to getting in a car and sitting there, or, you know, riding the bus to the subway would be fun, but yeah. there's something really. And I thought my life's finally on track. You know, the loves of my youth are still with me. The, the direction is set and there's no dysfunction here. Yeah. Now the problem was I thought that the dysfunction would never resurface and you know, we could talk about it if you want, but eventually what happened was I did well in graduate school, um, got my PhD and then eventually I did a postdoc, which is this kind of after, it's kind of like a residency in medicine. And then eventually I became a professor at UC San Diego and then was recruited back to Stanford as a professor. So I'm a tenured professor there now, which wow. does not mean job for life. It basically just means that you have freedom to study and work on what you want. And so I'm very blessed that I have a, a lab of amazing people. And I should say that my lab operations manager, this guy named Gary Hall, was a guy that when I was 14, ran the skateboard shop in Palo Alto and great skateboarder. He's 61 now. His oh, birthday wow. was just yesterday. He can still throw oh, down. Oh, that picture. Yeah, yeah, Front yeah. side grinds in pools. He skates full pipe. Revert. He can, he can basically Sick. do it all really well. And when I was 14, I remember he pulled me aside and he said, you seem to have a pretty strong drive. Whatever you do, you know, don't become a screw up. Just skateboard <laughs> for fun. Stay in school. Don't do anything because you resent your parents. Like you're only poisoning yourself. So I didn't listen. But then <laughs> years later, as I got things in, on track, yeah. I, I eventually hired Gary. He had worked at FedEx and Apple for a long time. And he came back and became my lab operations manager. Super hardworking guy. So skateboarding, punk rock is like, it's woven in. It's crazy, man. And, and I think your listeners will know and understand this, that, you know, and it sounds corny. And I know I'm <laughs> like the 50 millionth person to say it, but that energy that you feel, if you can channel that into things that make your life and the lives of other people better... That is a functional use of that energy. 100%. But when you're young, it just feels it's sort of, you just want to like spray it everywhere. You yeah. Know? So for me, science became the outlet. And then years later, looking at the challenges of the world around mental and physical health and realizing that as a scientist and a health educator in the university system, that there might be some opportunity and benefit of teaching people stuff through podcasts or books or things yeah. like that. I eventually just took that same energy, which is a, a kind of physical energy and enthusiasm and created the podcast. Yeah. So, so that's the arc of it, but amazing, I listened to man. H2O on the way over here. <laughs> My love is real. I like listening to, I, I like listening. cuts, man. Yeah. No. Dude. Well, and anytime I would go to New York. So when I, okay. So as a postdoc, 20, 2005 to 2010, I was feeling a little bit disconnected from that energy that we were talking about. I've been okay. so deep into science, 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 science. And, um, and I would listen to, you know, this was before internet really took off. I would listen to CDs and stuff. I'd go to shows in Sacramento. By the way, the shows in Sacramento were the only shows I've ever been to where I was genuinely frightened. That was a tough crowd. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. pretty tough gnarly. crowd okay. inside. Genuinely, was that place, that, I mean, it was off yeah. Broadway. Yeah, I know was, the name. Looking at the name, it was like a photo. I forgot the name of it though. We always played there, man. Yeah, tough, tough yeah. crowd. Murray and the Disasters would come through. Yeah. Who are those guys? Um, Pressure Point. Pressure Point. That Heart Like a Lion. Powerhouse. Yep. Yeah. So, OBHC, all that. Yeah. yeah. Boots. The hoods, yeah. Hoods. yeah. The hoods, Sacto yeah. was intense. And I uh, saw the transplants on their first tour play there. Wow. Transplants and distillers. Oof. You know, at the yeah, time when I they played that. the other. Yes. Amazing show in a little little colonial theater off Broadway. Okay. And um, they would have punk rock shows on, I think, Wednesday or Thursday nights. And then they'd have Mexican wrestling with the glass-dipped fists the oh, next day. Oh, shit. 
So sometimes <laughs> I'd, go, I'd go watch both. But the Mexican wrestling thing was just too intense for me. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. But yeah, Sacco um, show is definitely different for sure. I remember it was, that. It was super intense. But I would go and I was just kind of the quiet guy in the back. You know, I was a graduate student just just sitting there like arms crossed and just, you know, checking it and out, feeling it. And so during those years I was feeling like, wow, I miss this and I don't know what to do. So when I was a postdoc at Stanford, I decided I called up a good friend. His name is Mark Whiteley. He was a professor as uh, professor. Sorry, <laughs> Mark, you're a professor. He was the <laughs> editor um, at slap magazine, the okay. kind of sibling magazine for, for Thrasher. Yeah, I know slap, yeah. And I said, listen, I, I want to do something with the magazine, but I have, no abilities. And he said, well, get a camera, go to some shows and take some photos. And so I, the first one I did was a Lars and the Bastards in Sick. Boston. In Boston. In Boston, okay. Lars wore a, wore a white scarf, uh, <laughs> yeah. which was great. And I loved the, the way that, you know, Boston crowds are it's kind of conservative at that time. You got like the street punk oi thing. Yeah. And so he would throw out some like very kind of new agey West Coast stuff just to kind of like <laughs> stare the pot a little bit. He was great. That, that article came out. They gave me a little bit of cash, which at the time felt like a lot. It was like 700 bucks. I was like, nice. oh, that's nice as a postdoc that, you know, put some money uh, in the bank to go do something fun um, that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And then Roger was there. So he did a disasters thing. And then, oh, wow. then got to be friendly with his, I think it was his bass player, Reese. I know Reese. Australian guy. Yeah, yeah, Reese the best. Nice guy. So I would bring people thrasher. That's crazy. I'd bring people thrasher gear shirts and stuff like that. Nice. And hang out the warehouse in Hunter's Point during the day sometimes and bring in articles and photos and um and I was kind of back in it. It's cool. You know, man. and and loved it. And I started doing that more and more. And that's where I met Elvis Cortez from Left Alone. Did a thing on him and then fell in love with his bulldogs. Okay. Um and eventually his bulldogs had puppies. And so my bulldog that unfortunately just passed away was Costello, who was part of that he grew up in yeah. wilmington you know port of la yeah the the actual ghetto <laughs> at least at that time it was pretty Back then, was, yeah. yeah deep blocks and the um and so you know throughout the years it it's like i wasn't skateboarding or playing music but it's always been woven in yeah you can't and, escape it it's part of you forever man yeah, there's a picture of strummer in our lab Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there are no pictures of scientists. There's a picture of my bulldog <laughs> and Joe Strummer. Right? What about the sentence, Milo's a scientist? Did you obviously Never, know that? So here's the thing. I'm going to lose punk points for this. <laughs> so the the weird thing about growing up in the Bay Area is I, I love Berkeley and the East Bay. In fact, we live over there part-time now um, when I'm not in Los Angeles for the podcast. But I never really liked the kind of peace punk thing okay. not because i like violence or anything but yeah. i never really resonated with the kind of like nerd peace punk thing it for me it was i love oi music you know rancid was about as yeah. um kind of uh cross uh genre I as, I, as i ever got but during the years when i was writing for thrasher got to be friendly not friends but friendly with bouncing souls yep did a thing on them um, Brian Keenlin, those guys are great. Yeah. I don't know if Greg still lives out here or if he's back. No, I think he's out here no more now. But they were great and started spending more and more time in Jersey where I have family and going okay. to shows at the Lanes, Park, all this that. kind of thing. And then um, when I was in New York, I would try and make it to shows there. So, and then yeah, over the years, I'm huge. I'm a huge Transplants fan. Yeah, it's like so gnarly. Like <laughs> Rob's voice. Yeah, oh totally. Yeah, and he's just gnarly and amazing. And you know, yeah, I mean, just. That's the kind of energy that you can't manufacture. Yeah. That's like, you can't fake being what those guys are each Totally. One, right. And again, it's this incredible chemistry, 
right? Like it's Tim. I remember you'd come out in a trench coat. Remember yeah, when they were man. like, it seemed like there was like too. an anger there and yeah. it was like, and it was hot and they're wearing trench coats <laughs> yeah. and it's like Rob and, um, oh, the Jack and the warp tour. Remember exactly. That? Yeah. I actually met him for the first time. I have a friend that was living next door to him, um, in LA and we were just kicking around the soccer ball one day, having fun. It's a guy I grew up with and all of a sudden like Rob Aston walks by and, you know, that's the amazing thing about being in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, dude. But, you know, in terms of the, the Bay Area bands, um, sure, I have great respect and, you know, and uh, reverence for the Green Day guys and all that. But it wasn't my scene. It always yeah. felt like it, they it just like sang about love too much. Yeah, so um, the sense, for me, the sense for me. too poppy for you. Yeah, it was too poppy for me. Yeah. And, and over the years, like, I love the Rancid 2000 self, self-title. That's amazing, too, yeah. Like, Dead Bodies. Is there a like Rattlesnake the, on there, too? Rattlesnake, Dead yeah. Bodies, Antennas. Um, that came after Life Won't Wait Golden Gate Fields like I've lived in the East Bay a long long time so any of the songs that those guys sing about the Albany landfill and all that like I my house looks down on the Albany landfill yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so that stuff resonates with me a lot more deeply but I drive past Gilman Project 924 Gilman pretty much every day when I cut out to the freeway wow. and I look there and I see all the kids in their black hoodies and it just warms my heart yeah. <laughs> you know and I always said if that place ever has to go out of business because they can't pay the rent or something I, I would I would sacrifice almost everything I have to try and keep that place going. Wow. And not amazing. because I That's ever amazing. went to Gilman. Because by the time Gilman was really popping, it was too it wasn't my scene. I, I, got you. I wanted a club that had a little bit more edge. And at that time there were all these rules. Yeah. And um but it still provides an incredible resource to kids that I have to imagine felt either kind of or a lot like me. Like where else do you go? Yeah. Except if you don't want to get higher drunk. Yeah. Where do you go? I think it's safe to say that's like the last standing American punk rock club from that era. Because mm-hmm. CBS is going, I don't know what else, what else yeah, is Yeah, I can't left think of anywhere country. else. Yeah. It's like a, something like that, you know? Yeah, it's it's an incredible place. And the fact that so few people know what it is or that it's there is probably what keeps it special. Yeah. Um, but one, uh, a New York story that, uh, so always tremendous respect for New York, love the city, love the place, love the people. And, and, um, love the scene, the music. Yeah. It's just, and, and just how much, the, I think a big difference between the East coast and the West coast, not just for music, but for science too, yeah. is that in New York, if you're a scientist, you're just a scientist. You're not also trying to be a bunch of other things. People do other things like they might run but they're not also trying to be a marathoner and a scientist. Gotcha. They're, they're just, people are very comfortable in being one profession and one thing. It's and interesting. so it's different. Yeah. And, and so in the years when I was doing stuff for Thrasher, I eventually um, synced up with Vic Ruggiero slackers, right? Oh, okay. And, slackers. Yeah. And I was a big Vic Ruggiero and the little blue pills fan, his solo thing where he like does the tambourine and the, I don't know that the, he does crazy. the tambourine <laughs> and the thing and thing. And he was coming out a lot to the West coast and, and hanging out with, um, Phenomenauts, a band of these guys that dress up like spaceship. Amazing. I'm learning so yeah. many about yeah. these bands. Yeah, I wasn't a big Phenomenauts fan. Sorry, Phenomenauts, but um, <laughs> but they had amazing parties. Yeah, um, and there were there were other reasons to go to those parties, um, and so they just always managed to surround themselves with a ton of really nice yeah people. Um, and so I met Vic, and so my first time in New York to really cover any music, um, Vic. After a show, he basically, you know, you know, Vic, right? The he's a Jersey know. guy, he's a singer for the Slackers. Okay, right? okay, I know, yeah. And he, um, and he, he basically came over and was like, "Hey, like, thanks for doing that thing, that thing." And he's like, "You want to go eat some Chinese food?" It was like three in the morning, it's New York and so, style. And so we went. I'll never forget this. There, all, all those guys, Slackers, were eating, 
and Vic's there, and he introduced me to kanji, which is like this porridge soup from China that they eat. Okay. And they just kept ordering food and more food and more food. <laughs> and at one point, his girlfriend at the time, her name was Jessica, he looks over at her and he goes, you know, I think we need some long neck clams or something like that. <laughs> and she says, Vic, we have so much food. And he says... Yeah, I just get lost in this no man's land of flavor. And oh, I remember that's nice. and I remember thinking nice And I remember that's thinking incredible. and I remember thinking it's three in the morning. I'm having kanji with Vic Ruggiero from the Slackers. And it's like every word that comes out of a New Yorker's mouth is like something you want to write down that's on a incredible. piece of paper. That was an incredible line, dude. Yeah. And it and is and like I, a movie. And he and his girlfriend at the time, uh, Jessica, used to take photos, and she was taking a lot of photos of Joe Strummer then. Okay. And so she, or just, I guess he had died at that point, but because uh, he died when? Yeah, he had. He must have died in. Was it? Anyway, I don't know if he was dead he yet. He died or not. at fifty years old, right? Was yeah, he, he died way too young. Never met him, but you know. So she, he gave. He, she gave me a postcard of him that she had taken some photo. And so I realized, I was like, wow, like these these icons and these people that I grew up listening to and love, like we're just right behind them. We're still connected to this lineage. Totally. Mm -hmm. It's not too far off. And I remember thinking like, once again, as with that ranted show at, at Berkeley, I was like, I think I made it in life. Like I'm my science is going well. Yeah. I'm able to go to shows and do this thing where I make a little bit of money on the side. And, um, you know, I have no desire or need to be known in the scene i don't need to be like cre a creator in the scene i yeah. just i just was happy to be around it yeah and, you and appreciate it and yeah i just feel it and and to me i have a pretty good memory for things that people say keep that in mind people if you're ever gonna say something i'm tracking no i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I tell my girlfriend that and she's always like yeah great um <laughs> but but i remember like with murray like even just the way he talks. I love how he calls him Ray. It yes. makes me so happy. Great. Yeah, love like, you, Roger. Like when we were in Boston, uh, it was right. It was when that whole Yankees Red Sox thing oh, was it ha happening. It still happens. It happens to us playing with Dropkick Murphys. Are yeah, it's crazy. It and, happens all the time. And and I remember asking him, I'm like, hey, you know, what do you think of the Red Sox or something? And he's like, I hate jocks. <laughs> and I was like, and it's such a throwback right to the way punk rock used to be, totally. where like no one would talk about baseball. Like baseball is for jocks, yeah. right? And so I remember thinking, you know, when I come to the East Coast, you get the kind of pure version of something. It's only out pure on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, I mean, on the West Coast, you're gonna get like um, Thai pizza, or like you know, or like pizza sushi tacos, right? Pizza with pineapples on, on it. Yeah, on in the, the East Coast, Coast the last, you know. The, so you Vic actually took me to CB's one night. Um, to see them play and okay. I remember we get to the door and he's like he's with us and they're like no and I'm like what he's and he's like listen they're jerks here just just deal with it and he's and they're like no and I was like yeah I'm doing this thing for Thrasher magazine you probably heard of it like hey if you give me your shirt size I'll use it like I'm trying to play this and they're just like no they don't I'm care. like I'm like no because and they're just like because no and I was thinking I'm like listen I'll pay they're like no I was thinking and so on the one hand, I was like, man, I hate this place. On the other hand, I was like, I love the East Coast, <laughs> you know, because where else would you get that kind it's of response? ball breaking, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Place was intense. Tough crowd. So what, that one? It just the East Coast in general. Yeah. That, that's a, yeah. But that's what we love about the, it, the, too. Yeah. Like, they the shoot tough straight. love you get. Straight, straight shooters. Straight <laughs> Yeah, straight Did, shooters straight into, yeah, the, yeah. into the abdomen. Did you actually get to go into the hallowed musical temple that is CBGB's? You mean the bathroom. Got to, I mean the bathroom. Yes, you got yeah. to go in there? I did. I took a photo in the bathroom. I did Sick. not use the bathroom. That, yeah. that thing is rough. I definitely have used it, but that thing I have is to. rough. I've had stomach but, issues in the past, but and it's crazy. I knew he had any tattoos into earlier. Yeah, like so that, I keep them. I keep them covered for the podcast, uh, mainly because 
and this is sincere. I'm not ashamed of them, not at all. I'm proud of them. Um, you got a bouncing souls tat. I saw. Yeah. I've got I got a bunch of them I can list off. But basically, you have to have a rancid tat. I'm sorry to cut you off. I do. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, proudly. Um, the the reason I keep them covered is you know when you lecture in university, you pretty quickly learn that the students are easily distracted by anything, and they're always kind of looking for things about you to kind of understand you and that's just a natural human behavior but so i decided when i was going to teach science publicly teach health information publicly i don't want it to be about me i mean i really try and just see myself as a as a portal to bring information that's useful to people yeah and so i always wear a black button-down shirt because joe strummer <laughs> all your secrets you know so and also just keeps life simple totally. um it looks good on you too by the way thank you, you. Nice. <laughs> thank you the uh and so I think that, um, yeah, but the tattoo thing is, I, yeah, again, kids don't do it. Uh, I got my first tattoo when I was, f I think we did our first tattoos with India Ink and Needles. Wow. Um, when I was 14 with Paul, Paul Zwanich and I. Then first tattoo was the, the Rancid Gargoyle. Yes. Which eventually showed up on Rancid Records. Okay. Um, that one got really infected, had to do that one like three times. Wow. This whole business of putting lotion on tattoos is just makes no sense to me. Mm. It's a wound. You want a wound to dry out and basically you just don't want to shower for three days. <laughs> let it get really kind of, you know, crusty and then just let the scab fall off. Interesting. The whole notion of, of putting lotion on a tattoo makes no sense. So yeah, huh. I'm basically, I, I, yeah. except for one tattoo, I'm all black and gray tattoos from wrists, basically and neck. Yeah. So basically. And on your chest and your back and stuff uh, too? Chest, or? ribs, whole back. Wow. Um, you know. Uh, you going to keep going too? Keep going? Yeah, you got to keep going. You're not going to do your neck and all that stuff? I'm not going to do neck or knuckles or hands, mostly because I'd still want to be able to yeah. talk to donors related to science. I want to be an advocate for science and, and health information. Yeah. And that would be a barrier. To certain communities and I know some people would say just be yourself be authentic to me there's a difference between authenticity and oversharing you know I mean you know yeah. there are things that have happened in my past that I'm never going to discuss publicly is it authentic yes is it oversharing yes nobody needs to know you know it's not that I'm hiding that. any dark secrets that there are things that have happened between me and people I'm close to knowledge of other people I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing so you know I I set up a boundary around that, but there are a few tattoo, uh, excuse me, photos roaming around on the internet of, you know, with the tattoo showing a few of them, but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, sometimes people will say that, you know, the common thing you used to get is, you know, what are you going to do when you're 60? I'm like, get them darkened, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, or people, sometimes I wake up from nightmares that all my tattoos are gone and I have to go get them all again. Cause, wow. cause let's be honest. It's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And some of, of them pain. hurt. Some they, of them they hurt. really do hurt. Toby, you would love that. What? No. You would love to get them all again. Toby. It depends. Some maybe. You are. The I'm other day, the other day when on Instagram, they did a call for Rancid tattoos on the Rancid channel. Oh yeah. And I just tagged, you did. I tagged Toby. I said, Toby, you may break the internet. I, did. I put it up there too. And they reposed. Yeah. it was nice. Yeah. So I have the gargoyle. I have an FTL, um, uh, tattoo, which is fight to live. That's cause look, I get it. Not everyone feels the same thing I feel, but I'm a huge Bouncing Souls fan. Also, yeah, if you can respect. catch them on Halloween, best costumes ever. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've seen them come out in Teletubby costumes. Oh, shit. Uh, they do amazing. They played a bunch of shows on the ass. Yeah, yeah they, do, they do great shows and um, and super friendly guys, nice yeah, guys. Yeah, There's just like a bunch of guys from Jersey who did it, right, and stuck with it, as you know. Um, so... Let's see other tattoos. And then just a lot of like traditional stuff. Yeah, I love traditional you know, too. Traditional stuff and pictures of my dogs and 
um, paw prints on my dogs and a few girlfriend related stuff. That, You're a big dog guy. You're a big pet person. I person. So I love animals. I love animals. I'm here. I'm petting. So I'm in heaven right now. I'm talking <laughs> about this stuff and hanging with you guys and with a dog here. Love animals. Always have had pet ferrets, dogs, um, love animals. And in fact, listen, I, I have some shame and some confusion around this, but for years, my lab, I worked on animal models. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be open about animals. this. I tried to figure out, and my lab still works on regenerating the visual system. We also work on stress and anxiety. I was doing that in mice, laboratory mice. I know some people get angry about this. I will tell you one of the more disturbing things about working on animals is the first time I had to sacrifice an animal for research. It made me really uncomfortable and then never again. And that worried me. It's like something switched in me. Wow. And so for years, I would have these really bizarre kind of flashes in dreams or waking up or just kind of just issue with myself around this. And look, I understand that there's a place, at least in my opinion, for animal research where there are certain things that can't be done on humans. But over the last few years, I'm proud to say I've been shutting down my animal lab. Wow. Ramping up work in humans. And a big part of my motivation for doing the podcast and trying to get information on mental health and physical health out to people for zero cost is because look, I carry, I carry that karmic burden, right? I'm not a Buddhist or anything, but there's just no way around the fact that a lot of my career was built on that. And now I'm trying to put back into the world in a way that's positive and clean of any of that. Yeah. Are we always, is there other things they can test on at this point, 2022? They have to be animals? Yeah, so it depends on what you're trying to do. So there are certain things that in order to establish safety have to be done on animals. Now, I'm not saying that in my mind it's okay to test cosmetics on animals. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about laboratories who are trying to find cures for cancer, cures for um, MS and things of that sort. You know, it ladders up from what they call model organisms, which are different species like flies and mice to... You know, any pharmaceutical that you buy has been, the toxicology was done on primates. They have to find wow. lethal dose. Wow. This is just the way it works, right? Um, so how much aspirin is too much aspirin? That wasn't figured out by trial and error. That, that was figured out systematically in animal models. Yeah. Now, once that information is in hand, the hope is that they will stop. They'd never do it again. So I think there is and there needs to be an even greater effort towards really asking, is this absolutely necessary? And what are the what are the chances that this is really going to benefit people? But I I'd be lying if I said it didn't bother me. It absolutely bothers me. And with each passing year, I've really moved further and further away from it. I'm proud of that. But I also just want to acknowledge that it's not okay to just say, oh, I did something for a long time and now I don't. And so everything's good. I'm trying to, I guess as the Buddhist would say, transmute all that no, into that. goodness for the world. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it makes me sad. It gives me a heavy heart and, um, and I'm trying to do something about it. Yeah. And, and I, so I think it has its place and I'd be open to any discussion about that because I realize that for a lot of people, it's just hard to conceive why you would ever do that. Yeah. And at the same time, like 2022, it sounds like something you had to do back then. Unfortunately, we, we understand so little about how biology works. I mean, we understand a lot of things, but let's say for instance, like, um, immunotherapies for cancer. A lot of these are looking very exciting for the treatment of cancers. People are surviving and getting cured from cancers that five years ago, they never would have been cured from. And the entire knowledge base for those therapies was, from studies on flies and laboratory mice. 
So, you know, it, there's also this issue, like some people are specious and other people aren't. Some people would say, well, there's a difference between a mouse and a primate. I've seen and interact with a lot of monkeys. When you interact with a macaque monkey, it is a completely different experience. They look at you, they make eye contact, their social structures are very similar to ours. And so it's easy for anyone to just say, well, yeah, a mouse, it doesn't really look at you, it doesn't do that. But you actually don't know about what that mouse yeah, thinks and feels. Yeah. And if you, it's hard to conceive of this, but just a few years ago, there was a debate about whether or not animals have emotions. It's wow. like, yeah. of course animals have emotions. They have feelings in their body. I mean, you yeah. hear an animal you know, in pain or you see an animal in playing and in delight. And it's like, of course they have emotions. So fortunately, there's been progress. I don't think anyone even has that discussion anymore. Yeah, um, That's a, almost like medieval discussion. But we have a long way to go in terms of creating systems where only the most necessary work is done on animals. Mm -hmm. And... Look, there are a lot of things that I think can and should be done on humans. And that's controversial. Yeah. And no, I don't think that we should take people who are incarcerated and, and work on them. I mean, we have to maintain our humanity at some level. Even if people commit heinous crimes, like that doesn't mean that we can, in my mind, that we'd go do heinous things to them. There might be a circumstance where that would be appropriate. That's not for me to decide. I'm not, a, I'm not in the legal system. Yeah. But I think that there are things that I think people would volunteer for. So sure. people do volunteer for a lot of I've things. I've tried yeah. to sign up for a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what like what one thing? So I have I have a condition called peroxies or nocturnal hemoglobinuria. And I'm always mm -hmm. th and they have clinical trials PNH. and I'm always like, put me in, put me in. But I'm not like you th there's there's a there's like a grade of, of how bad people are. And obviously the people that are in the worst state are the ones that are getting the clinical trials. Have you heard I, would, of that I would happily do something I, like that. I haven't I haven't. It's really rare. Like I'm like a one in a million. It's, it's, a, it's a, really it's true. A blood yeah, 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 yeah. White blood cells, yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah. You look White. healthy. Thanks, man. You look well, as long as I, as long as I keep getting my drugs every seven weeks, I will remain yeah. healthy forever. Yeah. So what if I told you? And here I'm not making an argument for animal research, but what if I told you that the reason you can take those drugs and the reasons those dosages are known is almost certainly in part due to mm -hmm. knowledge that was gleaned from studies on animals. It creates a complication, yeah. right? Yeah. Like what? Like what do you do with that? But, well, I say because of that use it to benefit your yeah. life and you know make the most of that reality. Yeah. But of course there's the other side which is as long as that kind of cycle of discovery and um, creation of, of pharmaceuticals exists, well then there's going to be more of that. Yeah. And there's anything that people need to consume over and over and over again, food, medication, etc. is going to be a huge industry. Cuz yeah. it's not like buying an album once, yeah. right? It's yeah. you have to get it every yes. month. And so especially if your health depends on it. So it's a complicated issue, but the bottom line is I love animals and I have no intention of going back to animal research whatsoever. Um, and I, over time, gradually, I intend to be a voice for what I like to think is a more rational and kind of limited use of animal models. Yeah. Because I do think it's excessive. And I think that, um, and in the U.S. it's actually, you know, it's among the best of situations. You know, I hate to point fingers here, but if you go over to China, like everything's done in monkeys. They're just like, well, why not do it in monkeys? You know? And so look, the world's, there's a lot of darkness in the world. For sure. That is definitely one of the dark shadows that yeah. exists. Um, and yet there's also a lot of human suffering. So we need to figure out better ways to solve human suffering. Yeah, I appreciate you trying you to. Know? And so here I am kind of like, you know, here I'm stumbling around this argument and I'm not trying to be political and I'm not trying yeah. to, um, you know, 
but I, I just want to highlight it as an important discussion that I hope can happen more and more. Yeah, it's ex- yeah. it is extremely nuanced topic yeah. as well. It, 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 is, it, right? it really is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's one thing to sit on the sidelines and be like, you know, and, and, you know, I think we all agree that we should take care of animals and, and, and all this stuff. But like, if you're the one who's sick or it's a loved one who's sick, like there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, you're, you, you probably would happily endure knowing that that had to, to be done your to oh, save yourself yeah. or a loved Christopher one. Christopher Reeves, yeah. uh, Superman, right? Yeah. is a good example. Before he had his accident and was paralyzed, he was one of the main proponents of, of eliminating animal research. After he was paralyzed, he literally would roll into the annual Society for Neuroscience meeting, roll up to the microphone, and beg for more animal research to solve wow. to solve paralysis. Wow! This was also true prior to the AIDS crisis. There was a community in the Bay Area of people who were very much anti. At the time, it was called vivisection, right? But it was animal research generally. AIDS hit. And then there was an enormous call for more research to develop antiviral drugs and treatments for HIV AIDS, Mm -hmm. which frankly has been somewhat successful, right? If you look at the the number of people dying from AIDS now, of course, areas like sub-Saharan Africa, there are huge issues, et cetera. So it's, you know, it's a complicated conversation. Yeah, it's a tricky conversation. It's a tricky conversation. It is. And, and And it's one that I think people, whatever, there's a lot of emotion in it. Um, but it's different than the food conversation, right? Because the food conversation, you can say, listen, you don't absolutely need to consume animal products in order to survive and be healthy. I think there is a way. I'm personally not a vegan. I limit. Yeah. I do only eat food from particular sources that I trust yeah. and that I would never eat factory farm meat, not, not in a million years, for health reasons and for animal welfare reasons. Yeah. Um, so I think that... You know, these are important conversations. The, the generation coming up, like the kids coming up, seem to be more tuned into all this stuff they than, really are, than we were. They so really it's really are, great. And, you know, yeah. and I can't wait till I'm too old and great to, you know, read the, the lines on the Internet. Where, uh, <laughs> um, and and just know that people are, are just trying to carry the flag forward and just making the situation better. 100 percent. Yeah. I, I want to talk about um, NDSR, non-sleep deep. NSDR, non-sleep deep rest. So, deep rest, sorry. So, no, no, that's okay. You got it. Um, we talked about that earlier, right, Adam? Yeah, so... Break that down. Yeah, so non-sleep deep rest is a term that basically umbrellas a lot of different practices that we can all do. These are zero-cost practices that are science-supported through research on humans um, <laughs> that allow the people to put their brain and body into a state that one can recover sleep that you're not getting. A lot of people are challenged with sleep. We can talk about ways to get better at sleeping. Two, can help you get better at sleeping. And three, have been shown to increase the rate of neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to change in response to experience. But not just to learn things like math or language or music, et cetera, but also to recover from trauma, to um, work through any number of different things. So what NSDR is, is uh, it takes about 10 to 30 minutes you can find these NSDR scripts in various forms. So um, there's a one that has been around for thousands of years, really, in India, but is easily accessible now on YouTube or elsewhere for free, which is called Yoga Nidra. Yoga Nidra is nothing like yoga, no down dogs, no up dogs, hmm. um, etc. It simply involves lying down for 10 to 30 minutes. You listen to a script, and it has you go through a progressive relaxation of different parts of your body. 
and you breathe in a very particular way, which emphasizes long exhales. Okay. There's a really basic rule of physiology, which is that when you inhale, your heart rate speeds up a little bit. And when you exhale, your heart rate slows down a little bit. This has to do with the movement of the diaphragm, the heart volume, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So anytime you're really stressed out, by the way, don't take a deep breath, take a long exhale. Or even better, do two inhales through your nose and then a long exhale through the mouth. This is the f physiological sigh? Correct, the physiological wow. sigh, exactly. Physiological sighs are a natural form of breathing that we all do when we get claustrophobic. And we do these in sleep when we start to run out of air, something called apnea, sleep apnea, sleep, yeah, yeah. is a buildup of carbon dioxide. When you do that double inhale through the nose and then a long exhale through the mouth until your lungs are empty, that one physiological sigh like that will calm you down much faster than anything else. Wow. Within you know seconds. That? Yeah. I, so if I wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes I'll do a few of those and I get right back to sleep. Yeah, put you Game changer. Under. Okay. Yeah, put you back under. Yeah. So yoga nidra involves doing some long exhale breathing, progressive relaxation. And the idea is you can fall asleep during yoga nidra. That's fine. But the idea is that your brain goes into a state of, as the yogis say, you stop thinking and doing and you start being and feeling, which sounds very new agey. And I'm sure a few people out there are rolling their eyes, but it's hard to turn off your thinking. And yeah. if you're having trouble sleeping or you're really stressed, the problem is your brain as a prediction machine is always trying to predict what's going to happen next. And for some people, it's kind of like a car whose transmission is off. It's like the RPM are just revving too high yeah. when you're in park. Okay. And so 10 to 30 minutes of yoga nidra per day, or what I call NSDR is in and you can do this three times a week. You don't have to do it every day is immensely beneficial. It's been shown to improve mental health outcomes, learning recovery from trauma. It's zero cost. It's really easy. If you don't like the, the words yoga Nidra, um, <laughs> you can just look up NSDR on YouTube. Okay. There's a company called made for, um, that put out a script completely zero cost. There's another form of this, which is, um, self hypnosis. So a lot of people think hypnosis is, you know, stage hypnosis yes. with a pendant. You're a hypnotist, right? No, but I work very closely with a guy who's our associate chair of psychiatry. He's a medical doctor, an MD at Stanford named David Spiegel. And he's designed tools that are now science supported with brain imaging and all this stuff that allows you to put your brain into a very unique state, which is a state of being very alert, but very relaxed, okay. which is the optimal state for learning and the optimal state for basically for life. Yeah. And so there's an, an app out there called Reverie, R-E-V-E-R-I. Um, you can go to reverie.com. You can, I think now it's behind a paywall, but you can access it free for a short while if you want to try it. Okay. There's also um, a zero cost resource. A guy named Michael Seeley, S-E-A-L-E-Y on YouTube has, he's Australian. So his voice sounds pretty pleasant to most people. <laughs> yeah. My sister really likes it and him incidentally. Um, <laughs> And if you, he has scripts for hypnosis for sleep, hypnosis for anxiety. When people think hypnosis, they always think of stage hypnosis. Yeah. But hypnosis is another category of non-sleep deep rest, where basically you're deliberately shifting your own brain state. That's the difference between ah. stage hypnosis. In stage hypnosis, the hypnotist is trying to get you to do things according to what they want you to do. Gotcha. In self-hypnosis, you're trying to get your brain into a state according to what you want. Now, there's a way that you can determine if you are able to be hypnotized easily or not, and it's called the Spiegel eye roll test. Now, can you, this is going to sound really wacky. Eye roll? Yeah, it's called the eye roll okay. test. Not the teenage eye roll, but... <laughs> so it turns out that when you look up, 
that's controlled by neurons in your brainstem that create a, a state of alertness, which makes sense. When you're alert, your eyes are open and you're looking up, yeah. right? Chin up a little bit, but just mostly eyes gazing up. When you look down and your eyelids closed, that's associated with sleepiness, right? Mm -hmm. So hypnosis is a particular state of mind where you're very alert, but very calm. And so people who can go into hypnosis easily are people who can do the following. And actually I can do it on each of you. So, so you, you need two people to do this. So you'll, what, what you want to do is you'll want to look up at the ceiling, but don't tip your chin up. So you're just looking up. And then as you look up, slowly close your eyes while maintaining upward gaze. Okay, great. So Blake just did it. So as I watched you do that, what I could see is that I could that your eyes didn't move down as you closed your eyes. So on, this is always measured. The Spiegel eye roll test is measured on a scale about one to four. If you're a three or a four, you're very hypnotizable. I would say you're about a three. Ooh. Okay. So for you, hypnosis, you, if you do it two or three times, even spaced by a few days, you'll find that the fourth and fifth time you do it, you will very quickly go into what they call trance, which is the state of being very alert, eyes up, but eyes closed. Odd state, right? Normally mm -hmm. eyes closed, yeah, eyes felt, down. Yeah, felt weird doing it. Yeah, different. You've got two sets of so-called cranial nerves. If anyone's going to kind of like call bullshit on me, it's two sets of cranial <laughs> nerves that normally are drive alertness and eyes up or calmness and eyes down and eyelids wow. closed. So let's see about you, Toby. So, so, so what I got to do now? Yeah, I'm so you, you're just going to look up. And then while maintaining upward gaze, you're going to slowly close your eyes. It's hard. Yeah, there you go. See, I can still see the whites of his eyes. You're probably a four. Ooh. You're very hypnotizable, which is great. Now, this correlates with other things. Like, for instance, everyone's been hypnotized. If you've ever watched a movie and gotten really into it, yeah. and you just forget where you are. 100%. You're in hypnosis. Is that flow state? Flow state's a little bit different, a little less well-defined. Um, but if you... Try hypnosis and like it, great. It's one of those things where you can, for in a very short amount of time, um, you can, for instance, the other day I was about to record a podcast and to record our podcast because they're pretty information dense and it's me just blabbing, which obviously I have a hard time doing. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, I, I always say I have kind of like a scientific Tourette's. I just like can't stop. Um, but the, uh, I apologize. But the, you know, I was tired. I'd been up late the night before. I'll put myself into hypnosis listening to one of these scripts off YouTube, I'll look up like 10 minute hypnosis for focus. And very quickly, you start kind of in this relaxed but alert state that's very similar to sleep, but you're not asleep. Sort of wow. like yoga nidra, which means yoga sleep. Or So it's non-sleep deep rest. And then you come out of that and I felt like I had slept for a long time. I was ready, we recorded a podcast. So these are very useful zero cost tools. They are different than meditation. Meditation is about maintaining a focus on your breathing. And it requires focus and work. So a lot of people like meditation and a lot of people find that meditation is kind of work. It's hard yeah. to do regularly. And I look, I think meditation is beautiful. It's a wonderful practice. Um, but a lot of people have a hard time doing meditation regularly. Yoga Nidra, these hypnosis scripts, they're nice because you're just listening to someone else talk and you're following some very basic totally. instructions. So non-sleep deep rest is great when you're tired. It's great if you're going through a particularly stressful time in your life. It's great if you haven't, slept much and you want to recover quickly. It's great if you're about to go on stage or you're about yeah. to uh, do a podcast or play. Yeah. Um, and it's also kind of nice to do with somebody. So every once in a while, if we're really kind of like blitzed on life, my girlfriend and I will just go, sometimes we'll, we'll say we're going to run, but we'll just run to the park and we'll just lie down and do a yoga nidra. <laughs> and you come out of that and like, wow, I feel really, really relaxed I'm and clear. I'm definitely try it, man. So, I and I love the idea because it, it, 
just so happens that the, there's zero cost. I love that, man. I would pick the voice of somebody who, a, a Yoga Nidra script that you like. So um, I'm particularly fond of Comedy Desai's voice, D-E-S-A-I. Comedy Desai has an app that's zero cost. Also on YouTube, you can hear. She's just a really pleasant voice. Okay. I, I, I confess I have a little bit of a Comedy Desai crush. It's like a Yoga Nidra <laughs> crush. Just because I'm in this deep state of relaxation. Yeah, that's, that's conditioned place preference, right? That we were yeah. talking about before. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to meet Comedy Decide, but I kind of don't want to meet Comedy Decide. <laughs> it's like the, uh, because, uh, you know, who knows? I'm sure she's a very nice person. But um, so these are, are practices that are really, really soothing to your nervous system. Yeah. And look, there's a lot of anxiety, depression, and challenge out there. And sure, some people need medication for those things, but a lot of people have just simply not learned how to self-induce a state of calm. So if you... Do the double inhale, exhale. So it's two inhales through the nose, long exhale. So it's, and then little squeeze extra air and then yeah, long exhale till the lungs are empty. If you, that you can use in real time when life is stressful. And then if you're doing non-sleep deep rest every couple days, you are doing tremendously positive things for your neurochemistry. They get replenishment of neurochemicals like dopamine cardiovascular health improves. There are a lot of demonstrated benefits yeah. to these things. What about melatonin? Like, taking the melatonin if you can't sleep you're on tour and you're jet lagged is that good for you so i am not a fan of melatonin okay for a couple of reasons melatonin is a hormone that's naturally secreted from the pineal gland helps you get to sleep but not stay asleep most supplements of melatonin contain far too much melatonin to be beneficial and may even be problematic for kids okay it's great to know melatonin is one of the hormones that makes sure that you don't go into puberty until a certain age wow yeah interesting so there are better there are better tools okay um so zero cost tools i would say non-sleep deep rest yeah don't drink caffeine after 2 p.m that's what my friend told me yeah um get sunlight in your eyes in the morning this is probably the greatest most beneficial health promoting practice even if you're in the uk in the middle of winter and it's cloudy outside get outside early in the day if you wake up before the sun comes out, flip on a bunch of artificial lights and then get outside if you want to be awake. Wow. Sunlight. You probably knew that already, right? I take morning walks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sunlight triggers activation of neurons in the eye called these melanops and ganglion cells, for those that want to know, that send a signal to your hypothalamus, which is a brain center that's involved in generating your overall states of alertness and other things. And it sets a timer on when you're going to get sleepy. So when you first get sunlight in your eyes, even through cloud cover, early in the day about 16 hours later is when you're going to get sleepy if you wait to go outside for the first time till noon or so you're delaying your clock so okay so there's a whole set of mechanisms there but that's a very useful tool so these are still zero cost tools if you can also get outside in the afternoon before the sun goes down okay do that you do not need to stare directly into the sun indirect sunlight is fine but dark sunglasses are going to be a problem eyeglasses and contacts are fine because they just focus light into the eye yeah now, in the evening, there are a couple things that prevent people from falling and staying asleep. One is caffeine. The other is stress. So yoga nidra, the physiological size, hypnosis can really help with the stress part. The other is that, I know you guys aren't drinkers, neither am I, but alcohol is a sedative, but it disrupts the architecture of your sleep. You are not getting real sleep. So avoid so alcohol. people pass out drunk, they're not really yeah. getting good sleep? No, they're sleep deprived. Wow. Yeah, very much sleep deprived. What about screen time in the dark? People look at screens before they go to bed. That's bad, right? Yeah, so avoid bright light of any kind. So dim the lights, 
but especially screen lights between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., assuming you're on a normal schedule. Now, if you wake up at 4 a.m. and you need to go to work and you want to be alert, you're going to the yeah. airport saying flip on a bunch of lights. Huh. Okay, this is also true when you're traveling and on tour. Get onto the local sunlight schedule. Also, getting onto the local meal schedule will help you shift more quickly. That's been demonstrated over and over again. In humans, We've done that on tour, right? Yeah, tour, I, right? I feel like the biggest challenge is with tour is that it's set up to make all of that really difficult because the way we do it is we'll fly into Europe, we'll get straight on the tour bus, we'll go straight to the venue, right. we'll have to stay up until like two in the morning because we've got a show, then we're going to eat after the show, then we're going to go to bed and, and you, you, what you happens is you wind up like a lot of people get on this sort of graveyard shift where you're like going to bed it's at brutal. like yeah. 5 a.m. and getting out yeah. at like 2 p.m. Yeah, the vampire shift. Yeah, I, I do brutal. some work with military where they do ops at night and so they're always flipped, right? And um, it's very similar to what you described. So what I would suggest, I'm going to get you, a, a, you don't need a daylight simulator. Those are very expensive and not necessary. But there's a, a, a very lightweight um, kind of, eight and a half by 11 LED light that um, can plug in anywhere. I'll, I'll bring one over to you or send one over to you. Um, I have no relationship to this company, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I don't even care which company you buy it from. I don't even care if you buy it. I'm okay. just saying that. And then what you want to do is basically look at that thing when you want to be awake and you want to avoid bright lights when you want to be asleep. Now, if you are looking at your screen a little bit in the middle of the night, no big deal. Just dim it way, way down. Yeah. If you want to wear blue blockers, fine, but really bright light of any kind can trigger activation of this mechanism. Wow. Yeah. So I would stay away from melatonin. Now, if you are, if you do need some chemical assistance to get to sleep, there are safer alternatives to melatonin and certainly safer than prescription drugs. Yes. I won't name names because the, the drug companies haven't come after me yet. But, you know, my sister know. for years was like, oh, I have this prescription of this thing and this thing. Yeah. And it was like, then it doesn't work anymore. And then there's this, oh, I and feel groggy. And then, and then you know, she's she's not an alcoholic, but, you know, she likes a glass of wine. And then there's actually the danger of dying. When you, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a pretty slippery slope. So a couple of things that would benefit people anyway. Um, magnesium threonate, T-H-R-E-O-N-A-T, very inexpensive. Magnesium threonate can take in 30 to 60 minutes before sleep, can accelerate the transition into sleep. Interesting. You know that, Adam? Yeah. Uh, no, and we should definitely it's, get it's some great. for two I'll, yeah. I'll send some yeah. over and give you some. That's the, amazing. The other thing is something called apigenin, A-P-I-G-E-N-I-N. I should mention both these things are extremely inexpensive. We're talking like $8 for a two-month supply of apigenin, okay. which I realize people's budgets vary. But compared to yeah. not sleeping, yeah. it's, you know, sleep is the foundation of mental health, physical health, and so-called performance in anything. 100%, if you're not sleeping well, 80% of the nights of your life, meaning enough and deep sleep, you are not as well as you could be and your health will suffer in the long term. But I don't want to create sleep anxiety because then people go, oh, I woke up <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and like, am I going to get Alzheimer's? No, you're far more resilient than that. Your biology is intelligent. It can handle that. Do you, do you monitor your sleep? I don't like sleep trackers. And I, here I probably just lost a podcast sponsor. But here's the thing. <laughs> you know, I can tell if I'm rested or not. Okay. When I wake up, like this morning, last night I went to bed around 11 o'clock. I woke up at 4 and I was just wide awake. I was like, ah, oh, I need to get back to sleep. But I was wide awake. So what did I do? I read for a little bit on my phone. I admit it. Then I did a yoga nidra, fell back asleep. Woke up at 7.30, felt great. Sometimes I have to get up. I'll try and do a yoga nidra some point later in the day yeah. or a hypnosis script, even just 10 minutes in my car. Sometimes I'm the guy like mouth open, kind of drooling on himself in the car. Yeah. You know? So, um, that's me. You see that guy, that's me. Um, so 
And then I emerge from that feeling very good. So magnesium three, three and eight epigenin. There are a few other things for people that really struggle with anxiety, something called inositol, I-N-O-S, I-N-O-S, yeah, I-T-O-L, inositol. And you want to look for myo-inositol. 900 milligrams of myo-inositol is a really nice anti-anxiety, safe sedative that will help you sleep. It's also been shown to improve female fertility. It can reduce anxiety, but these are all things that you would take 30 to 60 minutes before sleep. Okay. A very small subset of people, like my podcast photographer, Mike Blayback, feel not well when they take magnesium 3 and 8. It upsets the stomach and give you diarrhea. You'll know the first time okay. you take it and you'll never take it again. Okay. The form of magnesium is important though. If you take magnesium citrate, it's basically should be called magnesium shit straight <laughs> because it's a, it's a superb laxative, but okay. it won't help you sleep. So magnesium three and eight is, or magnesium bisglycinate are the ones you want. If anyone wants these lists, by the way, um, at, we have a website, hubermanlab.com and we have, there's a sleep kit. Oh, that's cool. This is that lists all this out. It's free. So I'm not looking for a payday oh, here. Sick. It's just, it's free. I don't make anything off these purchases that I'm talking about, I would say get your behaviors right first, limit caffeine, yeah. non-sleep, de rest. Then, and only then if you need supplementation, use supplementation. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't think going straight to supplements is the way to go because here's the really cool thing about the nervous system. If you do a behavior over and over again, like hypnosis or yoga nidra, your nervous system changes. It gets better. Yeah. If you take a supplement or drug, your nervous system just reacts to that. There's no need for it to change. The yeah. change comes in the form of a pill. And I'm not anti-pills, provided it's healthy and safe and within the context of what people you know, yeah. can and should do. Everyone's different. But taking something and doing something are fundamentally different in terms of how they change you. Mm -hmm. One allows you to self-direct your own plasticity. Your nervous system gets better at relaxing. The other, you are literally dependent on this thing in order to relax. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. What about power naps? Because we're both big on power naps. Is Absolutely. That, is that important? The is rule that... on naps is don't make them longer than 90 minutes. Ooh, okay. Oh, I wish I could and, do 90 minutes. Wow, 90 yeah. minutes. So less, 90 minutes or less for reasons that we we sleep in so-called ultradian cycles, et cetera, et cetera. If people want to learn more, I'm happy to talk more about it. I know if you it, take but... an hour and a half power nap, that's crazy. Yeah, so that would be, I don't know if that's a power <laughs> nap. That's like, <laughs> um, and then don't nap if it's getting in the way of you falling and staying asleep at night. Yeah. Some, you know, so if you're going to take a nap at 9 p.m., you're going to have a hard time going to sleep at midnight. Yeah. You know, teenagers need to nap a lot. They're growing like crazy, right? These he guys, takes naps after he serves, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this guy's, you know, basically... <laughs> He's a he's a bag of growth hormone right now. Totally. Know? So um So even adults yeah. napping is good though for absolutely. us right? in the fifties. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I take a nap in the afternoon often. Um how long is your nap? Twenty or thirty minutes. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Adam? Yeah, I get like I'm up at like ten, fifteen minutes. Good to go, man. Wow, man. Yeah. This is fifteen. All this stuff, non sleep, deep rest, naps, they fall into the category of what I call deliberate decompression. You know, we're go, go, go all the time. And then sometimes we'll kick back and scroll through Instagram. That's not really decompression. Your brain is still a little too active. So I really encourage people to de develop some zero cost, you know, healthy ways to recover yourself. Um, and when you do that, your brain functions better, your body functions better. And you can be flexible about when you do it. I, I don't think it has to be every day. I think that yeah. doing them fairly regularly. Um, yeah. We talk about caffeine too, like... You commented on my thing about ca coffee a couple weeks ago because I was on it for a year, then I quit it, and I was back on it right now. Like people, there's such a thing back and forth about how 
coffee is good or bad for you. You you swear by coffee. I swear by black You've coffee. Always been by black yeah, coffee. Your whole love it for a long time. Yeah. What what's your take on coffee? Here's the thing about coffee. I, I like coffee and I like yerba mate. I brew my own. I got that too. Here. Yeah. There you go. Argentines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mate. I would say if you're gonna drink mate, don't drink the smoked. There's some very smoky ones. Those actually are pretty heavy in carcinogens. They can. They're as bad as cigarettes. Oh, this stuff. Wow, the dude, really smoky that. mates are not good, but the mates that don't have a smoke flavoring, that artificial flavoring, okay. are great. It's got something called GLP-1 in it, glucagon-like peptide 1, which is great for lipid metabolism and all that. It's great stuff. It's also uh, well-known in South America. It's very, it's pretty pretty good. Uh, is that okay? Yeah, that's great stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I brew hot mate or I'll drink um, mate out of the can. Uh, for me, unsweetened because I like the taste unsweetened. Coffee, I think is great. Here's a, if you, if you it's a are, diuretic, right? Obviously. It's a diuretic, so make sure you drink enough water. Um, actually, I think I heard Tim Armstrong on some podcast once where now I'll pay money just to hear him talk. Oh, yeah. Um, I know you guys are friends. I've, ne- I've never met Tim. I've obviously seen him around. But the um, but I remember him saying like, yeah, I drink like a cup. You got to drink water for every time you drink. It's true. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's you do, true. Because it's a diuretic. You also lose salt. So a lot of people that think that they are jittery from low blood sugar take a little bit of sea salt, put in water and drink it or, wow. or even just lick salt like a rabbit. Cause lick I get salt. jittery from coffee for real. Yeah. What you'll find is you immediately feel better because what happens is when you drink coffee and you lose water, you lose salt also. Yeah. Sodium goes with it. Your blood volume goes down and less blood is going to your head. Okay. Now, if somebody has prehypertension or hypertension, obviously you don't want to be throwing back bags of salt, but most people, especially if you exercise, you're eating pretty clean, you're drinking coffee, would do well to add some salt to their food believe it or not. If you're consuming a lot of processed foods like chips out the bag and stuff, well, of course you're that. getting tons. Of, well, that. then you don't need yeah. any more salt. <laughs> but um, salt is, a, is not a bad thing per se. Mm. Um, if you're somebody who gets that afternoon crash, you just meet, you know, really exhausted, you might try consuming caffeine 60 to 90 minutes after you wake up. People who just wake up and slam back caffeine, not a good idea. The reason is the longer that you're awake, a molecule called adenosine builds up in your body and brain and makes you sleepy. Caffeine is an adenosine antagonist. It blocks the effects of adenosine. That's why you feel alert when you drink it. Yes. But if you wake up, but when you wake up, let's say there's a, a little bit of adenosine still floating around. You didn't sleep so deeply right? This sleepy molecule, you drink caffeine and it blocks the parking spots, the receptors for adenosine. So you feel great. Then two or three in the afternoon, that caffeine is worn off. Now what happens? The adenosine binds those receptors more strongly and you feel exhausted. So in the morning, what you want to do is remain off caffeine, hydrate, maybe even put a little salt in your water. And then 60 to 90 minutes later, drink caffeine in other words, let all that adenosine get cleared out. And what you'll notice is that afternoon wow. crash just disappears. Did you know that? Yeah, I started doing it after listening to your podcast. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> painful at yeah. first, right? You yeah, should do hard. it, do it yeah. in 15-minute increments. Yeah. Unless you're masochistic, that first yeah, day, I'm, I'm, just going straight to 90-minute delay, you're going to get headaches, you're not going to feel right, your relationship will suffer. Yeah, I, I flipped it. I started doing um, this supplement, LMNT, which is like a salt oh, yeah. supplement in I the morning. That Knock that yeah. back, and then like 90 minutes later, so it's my first coffee. That's great, man. I'll send Great. you some. So I'll send that. you some element. Yeah. Actually, we should. Great. Put, I crash hard. I'll send you some element, which is a like an electrolyte drink. That's also gonna be great on tour because you're sweating a lot on stage. 100%. I mean, I've seen the way you guys go. Yes, and it's, it's great, man. You know, it, and you're it, sweating like crazy. It's one of those sometimes like first time I took it. I know they're not a sponsor, but I'm gonna give them give them okay. a shout. Out. First time I yeah. drank it, I was like, oh shit, I felt better like Wait, right away. Okay. 
Literally. So now it's salty. Elemental labs, Citrus recharge. Okay. Yeah. Right so just put in some water, yeah. not sparkling water because of fizz everywhere. And it's salty. At first you're going to drink it and be like, oh, that's kind of, but it tastes good. And okay. then you'll, f you'll just feel better. And I, you, sometimes I'll drink that with alongside coffee, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think caffeine's fine. The other thing that caffeine does, which is great, is caffeine makes your dopamine receptors more sensitive. So that any dopamine you release in response to pleasurable things feels better. It's going to work function better, which is not to say that, you know, you're going to have too much dopamine. It's not like cocaine or something, which, yeah. which, you know, cocaine basically is a dopamine agonist. It increases uh, dopamine, but then it, there's a huge crash in huge dopamine. Crash. methamphetamine, a thousand times more potent dopamine activator than cocaine. So Damn. going to a punk rock show, if you love punk rock is a dopamine agonist. Okay. But it's a healthy experience-based yeah. agonist and that can keep you going. I mean, I remember being happy for three days after a after show. After a show, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Three days, sure. 100%. you know, four days. That's dopamine. That's uh, what's going on there. I have a question for my friend about um, ocular migraines. Yeah. What do we know about those? Yeah, so those very same... My friend Alex there. Yeah, so um, we all have what's called photophobia. If we look at something really bright, it actually is painful and we turn away. It's a protective mechanism for our eyes. If somebody has ocular migraines, there are a few things that have been shown to help. One is, believe it or not, L-carnitine, which is sold over the counter, at least in this country. There's some interesting data on that. Here also, there have been some studies looking at very low doses of melatonin during the daytime. Wow. So not one to three or 12 milligrams, which is normally what you would find on the bottle. That's a huge amount but maybe half a milligram of melatonin has been shown to be somewhat successful in s for certain kinds of ocular migraines and also for tinnitus. People get ringing in their ears. This guy, he has it. Yeah, I have yeah. a little bit of that. So, well, that's probably because... Because I play obnoxiously loud music without earplugs in. No, I only just started like... Yeah, like, that's, like, that's like street skateboarding yeah. with a helmet. Nobody yeah. does. It. I only just. There's started. like the one guy that does it, yeah. right? And of course, everyone probably game. should. Mike Vallely does it forever. Shout out to Mike Vallely. He's always wore helmet street skating. Really? Awesome. Yeah. Small. He's, he's a badass. Guy. He is. Yeah. He's, there's another scary East Coast dude. I know now he's like a friendly guy, but that guy got really into fighting for a while. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's legit. Is that the guy with the famous video where he beats yeah, yeah. up like four guys? Yeah, yeah. 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 He was a vegan for a bit too. Still right? His whole family is. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, there again, you know, you can't make up a guy like Mike Vallely. Like, look at him. Like, just the whole thing, like the lightning bolt and the thing, and like the, yeah. now with the long hair. Like, he's badass, man. Yeah, he's got a band, right? The, yep. The rats. They're coming here on tour right now. Are they too. good? Yeah. Yep. I haven't heard me yet, but they're coming on tour. Okay. I just tripped out when I saw Vallely in um, The Black Hangover. Black. Oh, The Hangover. That's right. Yeah, he's the guy that hands them the tuxedos that's out right, of the van the at the end. I was like, that's Mike Vallely. Yeah, he's, he's super legit. Yeah, he's from New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, so migraine. Yeah, so my, it's, I never got a migraine, knock on wood, but. That was a question for a friend. You ever get migraines? Nah, fortunately. Heard it's brutal, super though. gnarly. I mean, you yeah. ever get one? No, but having had a few headaches in my life that you know I can't even imagine, and I know they're really know. debilitating. There's a great website called examine.com, zero-cost website. He should go there, put in migraine, and it will list out the, th the compounds that have been shown to be useful and the tools that have shown to be useful. Okay. Thank yeah. you for that. There's another thing that he, he does it too. Thanks for um, outing me on your podcast. What about this? No, just kidding. Oh, go, no. go ahead. Um, Turkestone and the Tonkat Ally. Yeah. Tonkat Ali. Tonkat yeah. Ali. You take those too, right? I take, well, take, I take Fedogia and yeah. Tonkat Ali. Right, and so I got now, some questions for you about that. that yeah, we'll so now we're getting yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah, bust out because one, one of my friends' questions is like, 
when you go to the gym, how many people you think are actually taking that? So, stuff? so first, first question is, what are they for yeah, the, what for are the they? listeners yeah. out okay, there? Okay, so first of all, I have no financial income related to Tonga Ali Fidogia or or Turkestrone. Just yeah. to be clear, because yeah. yeah. you know, um, which I'm not. There's nothing wrong with having a commercial affiliation with something, but I just want to be clear about it. Yeah. I do. So, um, testosterone and estrogen are present in both men and women, different ratios, right? So in general, in men, testosterone is higher than estrogen, and in women, it's the opposite. But both make both. Um, I should point out that guys always think testosterone, testosterone, testosterone all day and keep estrogen low. Estrogen has some important functions in the male brain, in, in, the, in the male body. It's actually largely responsible for libido. You know that? That if you if you took If you took an anti-estrogen drug, your libido would disappear. Now, you don't want your estrogen too high, but you don't want too low. You would get dumb. And your joints would hurt. Okay. Now, testosterone is involved in any kind of motivated behavior that involves effort. Yes, it's also involved in libido and strength and this kind of thing. And, you know, any kind of action against friction and that kind of thing. That sounded weird. Any kind of, Anyway, we'll just let that one slide, so to speak. Um, here's the thing. The best way to optimize your hormones is the following. The first set of tools are always going to be indirect and generally support your biology. Get quality sleep 80% of the nights and get enough of it. That's the number one thing we yeah. can call back to. Right, so most right. that's thing. the foundation. Second of all, most people should get at least 150 to 200 minutes of cardiovascular exercise per week. It doesn't have to be super intense, but the so-called zone two cardio where you're, you can just carry out a conversation. So it might be jogging, could be rope skipping, whatever it is that you do if you're into boxing in the gym, whatever it is, you know, most people would do well to do skateboarding. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people are doing that. A lot of people aren't, but that's going to keep your cardiovascular system healthy. Resistance training, meaning weight training definitely can help increase testosterone and optimize testosterone estrogen ratios. I would say that the science there says you want to do about three times per week, six sets per muscle group per week. You know, it's going to vary. Some guys are hitting the gym hard. Yeah. Yes. Other people are just cruising. You know, there's all, I just had a long podcast with Andy Galpin, who's uh, from Cal State Fullerton. He's a professor there. It, it's basically a masterclass in all things weight training and endurance. So all the details you can find there. Now, and then of course your diet, right? And there's huge debate about this. But assuming that you're eating mostly unprocessed foods, healthy foods from good sources, all right, that, then you're basically doing the best you can in all those areas of life and getting sunlight. Believe it or not, when you get sunlight, your skin is actually an endocrine, a hormone organ. There's a study that was uh, out of Israel this last year showing that if people get 20 to 30 minutes of sunlight on with arms bare and face two to three times per week, testosterone goes way up. Wow. Yeah. That the fact that you feel better when you're getting a lot of sunlight on your face and body is a real thing. And that's because there's a pathway from a cell type called the keratinocytes in your, in your uh, skin to the ovaries. If you're a woman or your testes, if you're a man that stimulates testosterone increase. So those are all wow. zero cost behavioral yeah. tools. Then there are the supplements, right? And then of course there's people that inject testosterone and we're in Los Angeles. And so there's a lot of that stuff. Now we talk about that if you want, but three supplements have been shown to increase testosterone levels. The first one is an Indonesian herb called Tongat Ali. It's also called Long Jack of all things. Um, it is important that you get a source that's Indonesian uh, Tongat Ali, not Malaysian Tongat Ali. The Indonesian stuff works better. 400 milligrams to 600 milligrams per day, early in the day, because it can be a little bit activating, make you alert. Those are vegan as well? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, oh. it should be. Yeah, because it's just from a plant. Cool. Yeah. Um, you have to check the capsules and make sure yeah. that, you know, you're not gelatin, that kind of thing. That's yeah. uh, beyond my knowledge set. But yeah, um, there is a good brand out there. I have no affiliation to them, but Solaray makes an inexpensive version that I know to be a very high quality. The way it works is it reduces the amount of something called sex hormone binding globulin, which is a protein in your blood that binds to testosterone and prevents it from having its actions. It's not a huge effect. So it's not as if people are going to go from, you know, feeling kind of like down in the dumps to being, you know, like supercharged, like on steroids or something. But um, it's a subtle but perceptible effect for most people. Women and men can take it. Again, check with your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm a professor, so I don't prescribe things I profess things so yeah you know um like but that. that's uh you know so check but in general most people tolerate it well it's inexpensive and can provide this boost kids and people going through puberty just wait till you're done with puberty let your hormones do their thing yeah if you have a hormone serious hormone issue see an endocrinologist but what we're talking about here are some things that are for adults yeah okay Fadogia agrestis with one g is a nigerian shrub that is a contains a plant alkaloid that can create increases in a hormone called luteinizing hormone, which comes from the brain and stimulates the testes or ovaries, if you happen to have ovaries, to make more testosterone and estrogen, but in the proper ratio. Wow. Some people will take big doses of Fadogia. I don't recommend doing that. I recommend if you it's safe for you to take, you could take it with Tonga Ali. You would take anywhere from 400 to 600 milligrams of Fadogia each day. The effect of Fidogia for some people is very strong. In fact, some guys will report because of the action of luteinizing hormone, it stimulates the testes to make testosterone. Some people actually report perceptible increases in testes size. And we just sold out of that product all over the world. <laughs> so wow. some people don't experience such wow. lar- large increases in shifts in testes size yeah. or libido, et cetera. Um, and then the third thing uh, is terkesterone. Terkesterone is actually a plant-based compound that comes from a spinach-like plant. Wow. That is a what's called ectosteroid. It's a plant. Plants actually make hormones, and it's similar enough to human hormones that um, some people report increases in muscle gain using terkesterone. I've never tried terkesterone. There's a lot of fake terkesterone floating around out there. The only right. terkesterone that I'm aware of that is real comes from a guy, he's a big YouTuber and actually a very nice, very smart guy. His name is Derek. No one knows his last name, Derek. Okay. He has a, a a channel on all the various platforms, including YouTube. You're going to laugh at the name. It's called More Plates, More Dates. Oh, I've heard um, of this guy. Okay. And you know, at first it's kind of, you look at it and you kind of go, oh, wow, this is kind of sensationalist stuff. But he's very, very smart and he cares a lot about the safety of the listener. He has a company, I think it's called Gorilla Mind, and they make terkesterone. Okay. Incidentally, they also have a supplement called Sigma, which is Fadogia and Tonga Ali, Zinc and Ashwagandha, which in combination can increase the various hormones we're talking about. Wow. So I don't know off the top of my head the dosages on terkesterone, but terkesterone is not going to increase testosterone. It's more of a muscle builder, and it works through a totally different pathway. Interesting. But I think Tonga Ali and Fadogia, for a lot of guys in their 30s and 40s and beyond, might be an interesting thing to try. Um, you know, if you're doing blood work, that would be even better, you know, get your blood drawn, get your levels measured and then use it, uh, and check your blood levels again. But listen, you don't need this stuff. I would say a key thing for getting your hormones in check is to do all the behavioral things we talked about earlier. And then if you're going to do weight training, try to make those weight training sessions pretty intense, but not longer than an hour, three or four times per week. 
A lot of people hit the gym over and over and over and you raise your cortisol levels and cortisol competes, so to speak, um, for the creation of testosterone. So if your cortisol levels are too high, that's not good. Um, And there are ways that you can mitigate that with taking lots of ashwagandha, but that gets problematic. Best thing to do is train intensely three or four times a week. Make sure you're also getting your zone two cardio, sleep well, eat well, and also be happy. That's a little bit of of a, you know, if you're doing things you love, the dopamine pathway is activated and dopamine and testosterone have a very close relationship in the brain as a set of circuitries. And so when you're excited about life and, you know, which hopefully most people are, you are naturally going to increase these hormones. And if you're in a really toxic relationship or toxic workplace environment or you're stressed, these hormones will suffer. So, you know, it's a, you got to work it from both sides. Yeah. yeah, do the things to support your physiology. You also have to do the things with your behaviors. As a as a friend of mine um, who's a physician says, you know, better living through chemistry still requires better living. There's no yeah. pill or potion that you can take that's just going to make you who you want to be. You have 100%. to do the things. Yeah. 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 When you keep saying sleep well, like what is what is good sleep? Like what Yeah. Is it for different age groups, certain amount of sleep or Yeah, great question. So, back to the sleep trackers. I have nothing against sleep trackers, but I don't want to wake up in the morning and get a sleep score. I want to wake up in the morning and know how I feel. Yeah. And listen, I have great respect for Whoop and Aura and all these companies that have done this because a lot of people really yeah. like that. I don't, I'm trying to get away from devices as much as possible. I, I feel already kind of enslaved to my phone in ways that make me feel not good about my self-control. Like I, yeah. I mean, take this thing to the bathroom. By the way, folks, the reason bathroom lines are so long is because of these freaking things, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And the phone is also great because you can communicate with people. So 100%. it's that double-edged and sword. what you're doing, all that Yeah, stuff. it's a double-edged sword. Um, what's great sleep? Well, first of all, getting, getting up once or maybe even twice every night to use the bathroom, perfectly normal, provided you can get back to sleep. That's perfectly normal. Yeah. Um, waking up feeling pretty refreshed most days or just a little groggy like I do, perfectly fine. Night upon night of waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety or waking up at 3 a.m. and not being able to fall back asleep, that's actually a clinical measure of potential depression. A lot of people who are veering towards depression don't notice it, but that's a common syndrome. Now, there are a couple of things that can cause that to happen. One is staying up too late. So what happens is melatonin is released, which makes you sleepy, which makes you go to sleep. So let's say your natural rhythm is to go to sleep at 8.30. You have that melatonin. (laughs) So so you're not really feeling that great at 8.30, but you push through it. You hang out and then you go to sleep around midnight and then you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're like, what's going on? Well, your melatonin ran out. So you might try and go to sleep earlier. The other thing to realize is that everybody feels most alert one hour before their natural sleep time. Some people might say, no, that's not true, but watch. The next time you're, kind of headed towards the evening, about an hour before, you'll kind of feel like you can move around and do a bunch of things, but that passes. So some people freak out. They're like, I'm wide awake at 9 p.m. Yeah. It'll pass. It'll totally pass. So it's about creating the right environment internally in your head. And also, look, you know, don't do what I do, which is like wake up at three in the morning and try and watch Ozark to fall back asleep. <laughs> like you're not going to fall back asleep. Like it's, yeah. too, it's just too interesting and it's too, it's too stimulating. Yeah. Right. So it's not a certain amount of hours we need, like six hours, eight hours. Like Everyone varies. Yeah. Okay. That was your question. Sorry. I drifted no, away from that. So that was your question. And you no, know, everybody's different. It varies across the year and it varies according to your activity levels and it mm-hmm. varies according to your age. And of course, in the more stressful times of life, we tend to sleep less, even though we need to sleep more. And that's when tools like NSDR become especially important. 
Gotcha. You know, so I mean, I don't know how how much does your son sleep now? A lot, man. Yeah, well, he's yeah, he's grown like he a weed. He surfs every day. He takes home naps. Yeah. He goes to work. All that. He's grown like so, a weed. Yes, we're uh, surf like twice a day. Like, you sleep like six hours though, no? No, I mean, What'd well, lately I'm I'm you get a bit early, lately right? I'm I'm having to go to bed later, but usually I'm I'm a solid seven plus that's naps. Good. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. How old are you? Forty nine. You're 49? I'm 49. You're good, man. Thanks, right? man. You're Thank good. you. You too, man. How old are you? I'll be 52 next week. Oh, my God. Thanks. This is like an anti... This is like <laughs> a, the uh, one life, one chance, the longevity... Po- it should be two lives, one chance. Yeah. <laughs> two lives, one chance. Was that one of the Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt played? Oh, or? Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button. Yeah. yeah. Grown by maybe, maybe, music keeps you young. Yeah, maybe skateboarding punk rock music is the fountain of yeah, youth. Maybe. It is, dude, because yeah. it's changed... If I found straight edge, I found all positivity, all this stuff from me. You know, it really How old were you when you got into straight edge? 13 when I heard about it. I was a skateboarder. I heard my threat. I hadn't tried anything yet. So that was it. My brothers were smoking and drinking around me. I was like, I don't want to do that. And then you just heard the one song, oh, God, straight yeah. edge. And you're just like, did it? <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I like sex pistols and other stuff. I couldn't really relate to the lyrics. You know, I wasn't. Well, really look what happened to them, too. Look yeah. at their lives. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't. Yeah. Look at their never, teeth. Never mind the bollocks. Look at their teeth. That That's yeah. just an English thing. We've all got bad teeth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. Yeah, drugs don't help people's teeth either, though. But um, I have a friend, actually, he's a uh, physician at UCSF. Um, I've talked a lot about um, the medical value and the health value of being a nasal breather unless you're talking or eating. Breathe through your nose, even when you do your zone two cardio. And if people have trouble breathing through the nose, that's a sign that you need to breathe through your nose more. It also has a cosmetic effects on the face because it changes the structure of sinuses. They've done twin studies. There's a beautiful book called Jaws, A Hidden Epidemic uh, by real academics. Um, They have twin studies. They show like one kid who was a nose breather and another kid who was a mouth breather because they got a hamster or something and they got allergic to the hamster, the whole mouth structure and the face structure, mouth breathing makes people ugly. Wow. It also, it also makes people dumber. Less oxygen gets to the brain. Don't, don't be a mouth breather. And in sleep, don't be a mouth breather. Some people will put a little bit of medical tape (laughs) across their lips in order to try and learn to be a nose breather while they sleep. Those are, yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. Wow. Now, you can mouth breathe when you exercise hard, right? There are times to mouth breathe, right? We've, yeah. Use yeah. your imagination, yes. right? There are times to <laughs> mouth breathe. But in general, try and be a nose breather. Try and breathe deeply through your nose, deeply and slowly, as often of your life as possible. Wow, man. And, and the other thing know. is chewing your food, believe it or not, is good for keeping the nasal passages clear in order to... Um, in order to breathe well. The, the structure of people's faces has changed a lot in the last 20 years because people are slurping down their food now. People aren't yeah. working hard at chewing on things. And if this book, Jaws, you don't even have to buy it. You can just Google some, Google it and look at the images on Google and you'll see dramatic shifts in the people's facial structure when they start doing more nasal breathing and when they start really chewing their so food. Cool, it's really cool. And I think for people who use their vocal cords and sing, yeah. this is especially important because you know how to use your diaphragm, right? Totally. So you're probably good, but most people don't really know how to breathe deeply. Yeah. They don't know how to speak in a way where they're not asphyxiating themselves. And a lot of people actually think that they have anxiety about speaking when actually they just don't know how to speak and continue to breathe at the same time. Yeah, I so, that either. so nasal breathing is a game changer because it will keep you out of sleep apnea and sleep apnea is a very dangerous thing. So to scare all the men, like it leads to like problems with like erectile function in women, it can limit fertility. You're basically asphyxiating yourself. You're starving yourself of oxygen in sleep and people who are obese or who just naturally have big necks, right? Take note, Murray. Now I'm scared. The, uh, <laughs> if you sleep on your back, you're, you limiting airflow. So, you know, try and sleep on your side or cover or, or tape your mouth shut. 
get big, deep nasal breaths. I mean, you need oxygen in every cell of your body. And if yeah. you're spending seven or eight hours of the night and parts of your day, basically hypoxic, low oxygen, you won't think as clearly. You'll think you have brain fog. You'll wonder what's wrong with you. You get fatigued. It's a, it's a serious thing. And if you've ever been on a plane, and I hate to say it with a mask, you're basically just breathing carbon dioxide over and over. You feel like garbage. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. So I'm not going to get into the mask thing, but hopefully soon we can we yeah. can get out of those things. It's looking pretty good right now. So it's far. looking good. So knock on wood. Not not, yeah. not for flying for a while, but just everywhere right. else totally. Right. Yeah. Um, also, uh, real quick, going from a sauna to uh, ice bath. Like I know I, I've been talking about this to you for a while, and all my friends have it. All, my, all you guys have. Did they it. send you an ice bath? Yet? No, not yet. Cold plunge. Send this guy an ice bath. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those are, they make great ice baths, but they, yeah, they, they should send one over to you. It's and, yeah. how important is like what is that doing for a fifty-two-year-old man? Why do I need a sauna that I'm obsessed about and getting a cold plunge in my backyard? Because they see all you guys doing it. Like, yeah. What does it do for me? Okay. So glad we're talking about this because I just recorded two two and a half hour episodes about heat <laughs> and sauna. So buckle up. No, I'm kidding. I'm not gonna. I'll just give you the high points. First of all, whether or not you get into a hot sauna or you get into cold water whether or not you do it, the cold water from cold shower or an ice bath or cold immersion or just outside on a really chilly day in a minimum of, let's hope, appropriate clothing. Cold showers as well, too, I want to talk about. Yeah. Cold showers. The effect is the same at first, which is a shot of adrenaline. It's also called epinephrine. Now, epinephrine is associated, and adrenaline you think of as stress hormone, but it actually is a whole kit of hormones, including dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine. They all get released. They're called the catecholamines. Dopamine is a good thing. It makes you feel really good. Epinephrine is a really good thing. It makes you feel energized. It also activates your immune system. So when you get into cold water, for believe it or not, a study just came out. If you get into very cold water for 20 seconds, 20 yeah. seconds, you get a shot of adrenaline that doubles your adrenaline level and your dopamine levels increase also. And your dopamine levels continue to increase for several hours afterwards. So after you then warm up, take a warm shower, towel 20 off. Seconds? 20 seconds would right. be, but that's in very cold water. What I recommend is... What's very cold water? What's Well, that was four degrees Celsius, which is really cold. Okay. I, I'm not doing the conversion in my head, okay. but um, hundred. let's see, 80 degrees Celsius is 176 degrees Fahrenheit. 100 degrees Celsius is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. So you can do the math there. I'm, I'll, okay. I'd struggle to get that, but... No, we can't. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so what I recommend is, you know, develop a practice of taking a uncomfortable but cold shower or ice bath or cold immersion of some sort three times a week get up to 11 minutes total per week okay okay that's what I, that's what the science says science okay. on humans okay again not animal studies on humans cold immersion would be best just up to your neck but a lot of people don't have an ice bath so get yeah. a cold shower it should be uncomfortable meaning you should think i really want to get out <laughs> but i'm going to stay in and yes, it's fine to turn on the warm water afterwards. Okay. Unless you're doing it to stimulate your metabolism, in which case you want to turn off the water and get out, meaning end on cold. You take a hot shower, then end on cold, and then force your body to naturally warm back up. The cold water stimulates the release of these chemicals that make you feel good for many hours. It activates the immune system. This is well established. And it activates what are called brown fat stores. You have white fat, which is the blubbery fat. And then you have brown fat, which is the fat that's around your spinal cord and your heart and wow. in between the blades of your shoulder blades. Know about that? Yeah. Wow. Brown fat is present in kids because kids can't shiver. And brown fat is rich with what's called mitochondria, which is kind of a powerhouse of the cell. 
creates ATP. It's like a can it's like the the wax in a candle or the oil in a candle. It helps you feel comfortable in cold. So if you do a cold shower on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then you're outside on a cold day, you're going to feel comfortable in a short in short sleeves. Interesting. Okay. Now, some people say, "Why can't I just go outside in the cold?" Well, you can but you need to be out there much longer in order to get the effect. And the reason is that it has to do with the physics of heat transfer without getting into a lot of details in water. There's four times at least the heat transfer. So the reason Michael Phelps could eat so much and still stay lean is that he was exercising in water, which meant he burned essentially four times more calories than if he had been running the same wow. amount in air. And that's true even if you're in warm water. So there's a lot of ways you can maneuver this. First of all, I would do cold water exposure of any kind early in the day because afterward the response is your body heats up internally and the process of going to sleep requires a one to three degree drop in temperature that's the other thing i forgot to mention before mm. sleep in a cold room pile on the blankets and then as you get that. too warm throw the blankets off because if you think about it, if the room's too warm you'd need to like have an ice bucket next to you in order yeah, to cool yeah, off yeah. so that's especially true on tour. Okay. If you're having trouble sleeping, you're in, you guys don't van tour anymore, do you? Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it might be in our future, unfortunately. With the gas uh, prices are yeah. yeah. sardined in. Um, <laughs> I've only been on one van tour. I actually joined up with Left Alone for a little leg of oh, their wow. tour. Oh, my God. There's no way I could do it again. It's, <laughs> it's so brutal. intense. Yeah, I mean, waking brutal. up next to a bunch of, of guys a, like in a sardine coffin it's brutal, stuff. Dude. It's brutal. It's brutal. Much, much respect to anyone that does it. It's, it's harsh. You. It's harsh. Thank you. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so, so the cold water exposure is great. Um, build into it gradually. I mean, you could even get in 60 degree Fahrenheit water, which is pretty warm. It's not yeah. really like frigid, but then you need to stay in for 20 minutes. Okay. So what I say is build up to 11 minutes total per week of uncomfortable, but safe. Okay. And that's going to vary for different people. Now, in terms of heat, ideally you would do heat exposure in the evening. Because afterwards, your body's going to cool down in response to that. But listen, the best time to do it is, I would say, is morning, afternoon, or any time of day. You know, not doing these practices simply because you don't, get, you don't have the opportunity to do it at a particular time of day. That's not the way to think about it. Yeah. A sauna always feels good. You yeah. Know? But you do want to get into a sauna that's uncomfortably hot to like, some extent. Like how hot? Okay, well, this is going to vary. And I don't, now, unlike with cold, it's pretty easy to kill yourself with too much heat if you go really high. So if you're out in a hot desert, you're dehydrated and then you're trying to run a marathon, you, you know, thinking you're David Goggins or Rich Roll, like you can kill yourself. Totally. So safety precautions um, aside, 176 to 212 degrees Fahrenheit is a good range for, I'm a big fan of, of sauna, not infrared sauna. Okay. Infrared light has other uses, okay. but most infrared saunas, A, are too expensive and B, don't get hot enough. Interesting. Okay. Now, for those of you that I want can't, you recommend one off air. Yeah, I have no relationship to any sauna company, and I do use red lights for other things, but yeah. not not in the sauna. The whole thing of red light sauna is really about people like the way they look in the, under the red light ah, in the sauna. It's not it's much like, better for you, or anything. Okay. No, but red light is good for other things that okay. we could talk about. It's um, so, you know, I I like a two hundred degree sauna, um, wet sauna, dry sauna doesn't really matter. You get in there. The best thing to do is ten minutes to 20 minutes, that's going to feel uncomfortable. If, especially if you're up near 200, 210, you're going to be uncomfortable. Your heart's going to be beating fast. It's Damn. your heart rate will go to 150 beats per minute. It's just like cardio. Your vessels are dilated and your stroke volume of your heart, the amount of, of blood that your heart is beating is really increased. 
And so you're going to basically be getting exercise just sitting there. Wow. Which is great. But don't stop exercising either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I would do 20 minutes, then get out, cool off a little bit. And then you could, if you want to do your cold exposure and then get back in, there are a bunch of ways you could combine these. Yeah. Or you could just take a warm shower and go to sleep or a cool shower and go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one study that is often cited is a study that was done in Finland where they had people do 30 minutes of hot sauna, get out for five minutes, 30 minutes again, okay. get out. Then in the afternoon, 30 minutes again, five minutes, 30 minutes again, but they did it once a week. Wow. So kind of a marathon day of sauna, but they saw a 16 fold, 1,600% increase in growth hormone, which is wow. really interesting because growth hormone is involved in increasing metabolism, repair of tissues, et cetera, et cetera. But if people kept doing it two or three times per week, the growth hormone increase was not as dramatic. Mm -hmm. Now for most people, growth hormone isn't really the goal. The goal is cardiovascular health, totally. sweating, Getting better at sweating is good. And actually weight loss, believe it or not, there's some fat loss associated with doing these cold ice baths and, okay. and sauna. You, you know, if you eat like garbage, you offset that. But there's a beautiful study, a big, what they call meta-analysis, looking at a lot of different studies all together. Basically, if you do sauna once a week, you have a slight reduction in death due to cardiovascular events. Okay. If you do it two to three times per week, you have a 27% reduction in death to cardiovascular events Jeez. and what they call all-cause all mortality, death due to other things. And if you do it seven days a week, four to, excuse me, four to seven days a week, you are 50%, 5-0% less likely to die of a cardiovascular wow. event. Wow. And now there, there are a lot of data showing that the probability of developing or making an existing psychotic episode or mental illness worse is also significantly reduced by doing regular sauna. Jesus, so, he, so what I recommend is getting into the sauna and I'll give some alternatives. If you don't have access to a sauna, I would say two or three times per week, combine it with the cold exposure. If that's all you have time for. So yeah. sauna, then cold bath or cold bath and sauna, maybe go back and forth. If you have the time, I recommend doing that two or three times per week. Okay. After a workout is fine. Before a workout, as well. you know, I, it makes you a little sleepy after the sauna. Yeah. You know, you're a little bit out of it. Then maybe do your yoga nidra. But this might sound like a lot of work, but really what you're talking about is 20 to 30 minutes and then a 15-minute yoga nidra, and you are a different human being, neurochemically yeah. speaking as well. If you don't have access to a sauna, there are a couple things you can do because I do realize that th not everyone has access to them. Yeah. The old-fashioned way is to make a hot bath. You can still make a hot bath, and it works. Guys that are attempting to stay fertile, keep in mind that hot bath immersion will nuke your sperm. Like sperm don't like to be too warm. That's the reason wow. that you wow. have this thing called a scrotum. You know that's why I take them in the shower, man. Okay. I take hot showers. <laughs> I take, I take hot showers. I hope yeah. you take your sperm yeah, in the shower. I'm not trying to make no babies. Uh, the, uh, but that's why you have a scrotum, right? Yeah. To keep it outside yeah. your core body temperature. Mm. And that thing, you know, moves on mm. purpose to, mm. to maintain yeah. the proper temperature. Some people I know, if they're going to be in the sauna, if they're really paranoid about this, like they're still trying to have kids, they'll even just take like a jar of ice water and you know tuck it between their legs. Wow, it's getting extreme. But in any case, if you're getting into hot baths, you you are you are killing sperm. If that's and you're if you're aiming to conceive children, obviously, if you're aiming to avoid conceiving children, this is not a reliable source of birth control, by the way. Okay. Um, uh oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so. 
I think that those, you know, and then if you don't have access to a hot bath, right, you only have living in a place, you could do hot shower, but it's going to be harder to get the, the kind of, the kind of water coverage over the body. Yeah, yeah. You could do like the wrestlers do. You could pack on multiple layers of sweats and go out for a jog with a hoodie on. You're going to warm up. Remember, there's it's nothing, there's nothing holy or special about sauna. It's about heating the body. And yeah. there's a whole set of biological mechanisms that explain the effects. Things like heat shock proteins, which um, kind of, prevent misfolding of proteins that can lead to things like dementia, things like activation of these genetic programs. There's this really cool gene called, called FOXO3. The more copies of FOXO3 that you have, the more likely you are to live to be 100 or older. Wow. And sauna induces a pathway through heat that increases the activity of whatever FOXO3 you happen to have. So the longevity effects make sense. So there's a lot of mechanism now to, to explain this stuff. But once you get into the whole sauna thing and the cold exposure, what you'll notice is you'll start to crave it. You'll be like, ah, it's been three, four days. Whenever I'm traveling, I don't know if you guys can do this while on tour, I'll look for a banya, B-A-N-Y. These are the Russian banyas. Okay. They know how to do sauna and cold right. Okay. You go in there and they'll have a sauna that goes to like 230 brutal it's hard to even breathe you're just like oh my goodness i'll do that for five minutes then you can jump in the cold dunk then you can get in the steam shower or something like that um in new york there's one that i always go to i think it's called like spa 88 it's down near wall street and it's really old school banya they'll even do the plaza which is they'll take branches and they'll beat you with it if you want wow. to, to stimulate the the um, blood vessels to circulate the issue with going to with with banyas and things like that is you know there's a cost to it. it's like 50 bucks and the, re the problem with ice baths is you might think, oh, ice baths are cheap. Getting enough ice into the cold tub, you're looking at a 50 or $60 ice bath. Wow. So, okay. you know, over time, owning, if you get really into this stuff, the cold plunges start to make sense financially. Yeah. And there are a number of them out there. So, um, you know, they, they do care, like the price tag is pretty high on some of them. But if you're doing this regularly and you kind of compute against the cost of going to a a sauna it's sort of like the difference between owning a massage chair and getting professional massage like obviously a professional massage is amazing is you're amazing. like hey like work my feet or whatever but you know you're throwing down 200 bucks every time or it's true, you know actually. yeah and over time it gets expensive so the ability to access some of that at home can be useful but you can use the shower and the bath and um you know the real poor man's version of it is to go jogging and you know wrap yourself in plastic bags throw on two two hoodies and a, a pair of jeans and go out for it's a jog shit, right it's a new york and, city sauna and then come home and take a ice cold shower and i say this thinking you know when i was a college student or even a graduate student and postdoc i didn't have the money to to you know yeah. buy a sauna or go to a, a spa like forget yeah. it Me um and definitely check the bathhouses like different bathhouses have different cultures some are um clothing optional some are clothing the ones in new york are it's like Spidey Eight are all clothed. There's one in San Francisco called Archimedes Bonnie, which is clothing optional. I just say this because, you know, um, you might run into your coworkers. Yeah, um, so, yeah, you know, yeah, just like be yeah. smart, you know, if you got a lot of tattoos, you know, people are going to be reading your tattoos, Toby. Oh, sure. So anyway, I'm sort of half joking here, but, um, <laughs> but uh, the, there, these practices are powerful because cold and heat both stimulate the release of adrenaline and adrenaline is a potent activator of a number, a number of biological systems that are good for us. And there is a zero cost way to stimulate adrenaline release as well, which is sometimes referred to as Wim Hof breathing, but it actually oh, yeah, yeah. falls under the category of Tumo breathing for the traditionalists. Or if you're in my lab, we study something called cyclic hyperventilation. If you want to stimulate adrenaline, anyone can do this right now. As long as you're not in water or driving, please don't do this while driving. 
basically what you do is you're going to breathe in very deep through your nose and then you're going to quickly just let the air fall out of your mouth. And then you're going to do that 25 times. Now I'm not going to do it 25 times now, but you will immediately start heating up. You'll feel your blood vessels start to change. You'll turn red. You'll feel alert. That's adrenaline. Then after 25 of those breaths, you exhale all your air and you hold your lung air, you hold your breath, excuse me, lungs empty for 15 to 30 seconds. And then you do it again, second round, and then again. And then after the third round, you breathe in deep and you hold your breath. And what you'll notice is two things. First of all, you can hold your breath a lot longer than you'd be able to yeah. normally. And that's because you eliminated a lot of carbon dioxide gotcha. and carbon dioxide is the stimulus to breathe. Okay. Second of all, you'll feel very alert and very calm, which is a wonderful state to be in. Yeah. And there you didn't have to do an ice bath or do a sauna. Now, ice bath and sauna have additional benefits. But what I just described, cyclic hyperventilation, also called Tumo or Wim Hof breathing, has been shown in really nice peer-reviewed studies to, for instance, activate the immune system. Because if you think about it, how does your immune system know when there's a challenge? Well, typically you'll eat the wrong thing or you'll encounter a bacteria or virus and then your body will release adrenaline. You feel that kind of stress or you feel kind of overwhelmed and exhausted. Well, you can use the sort of breathing I just described anytime you start to get like a throat tickle. So if you're out on tour and you're, you know, you you do the germ-free handshake like Nick 13, Mm -hmm. right? Isn't he like a germaphobe? Who? Nick 13 from Tiger. I heard, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. I don't know why. I don't know where I picked that up, but <laughs> sorry, Nick. I don't know. I don't know him, but anyway, cool, well, I'm, I'm, cool hair. Well, best I'm, hair in the world. Who well, has I'm hair tour, like that? I'm a germ collector. I hand the microphone out. I take it back. Oh I my goodness. Sing along. So yeah. You're, yeah. Well, that'll benefit your microbiome. We can talk about that. But but in any <laughs> case, the, you know, if you're in an environment, you're starting to get that throat tickle. You're not feeling well. Do that breathing that I just described. There's an amazing study where they had people either do that breathing or not. And then they injected people with E. coli, which I don't recommend. And yeah. And the people who did that breathing had very few fever symptoms or nausea. Wow. Because there's there's some YouTube, Wim Hof has some YouTube videos where he takes you through the whole process. Yeah. He's great. Really, really helpful. Yeah. You've done that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Don't do it in combination with anything where you submerge yourself in water. Can't state that seriously enough. At least four people have died doing cyclic hyperventilation and then trying to hold their breath extra long underwater. Wow. Not a good idea because you get what's called shallow shallow water blackout. Free divers are familiar with what this is. You're just, you think you're fine and then there's no flickering. There's no urgency to breathe. You've eliminated the urgency to breathe and it's just lights out and people have died. So keep the water immersion and the Wim Hof breathing separate. But yeah, kudos to Wim. He actually came out to my lab in 2016, visited. We did some uh, some kind of exploratory stuff together. Um, yeah, he's a pioneer. It existed before Wim. The Tumo breathing's been around a long time. Yeah. And in the in geek speak, we just call it cyclic hyperventilation. You know. So so how about fasting? Does that have a positive yes, effect please. on longevity and the immune system? Great question. Yeah. So intermittent fasting. And juice cleansing too. Yeah. And juice cleansing. Yeah. So um, or cleanse of any kind. Yeah. You're vegan also? No. Okay. So you don't have to be a vegan to be an H2O? No, not at all. We've only got one in the bed. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so fasting falls into two categories. One is intermittent fasting. So only eating for a restricted number of hours each day, typically an eight to 10 hour feeding window. I mean, there are those real psychos out there that only eat one meal per day. The problem with only one meal per day 
is that unless your caloric intake is really low, you're likely to eat far too many calories. And you're going to get some dast- not too many calories rather, but too much food. You're going to too much volume. It's kind of uncomfortable. You can't fit. If it. I only eat once a day, I'm eating everything. Like everything. Oh, hell yeah. And then you don't feel well. You don't sleep yeah. well. You don't feel well and so on. But if you're going to eat, you know, between, let's say, 10 a.m. and 8 p.m., that's, you know, decent feeding window. You're then not eating between 10 p.m. and obviously, and uh, sorry, 8 p.m. Stella just taken off. Between 8 p.m. and 10 a.m. And so you're fasting that entire time. And a lot of it's during sleep. What's been demonstrated? Well, first of all, from an adherence perspective, a lot of people feel that they can stick to that kind of diet regimen a lot more easily than they can portion control. I'm one of these people. I don't eat half the croissant. If I if I lick the croissant, I'm eating the whole croissant. Okay. You know, that's just me. Like I love yeah. those damn things. I try and stay away. Have it today. Yeah. They're so good. And so some people are really good at portion control. They're like, I'm only going to have half the croissant. And like <laughs> amazing, but intermittent fasting, it serves that purpose for a lot of people that are trying to keep their caloric intake in a certain range. The other thing is some people start to learn to really enjoy the fasted state. Yeah. They like water and coffee, which is compatible with fasting. There are a couple nuts out there on the internet saying like coffee is incompatible with fasting, breaks your fast. Listen, black coffee you're allowed to have, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, if, if black coffee breaks your fast, you got bigger issues because that means that your blood glucose levels aren't being handled regularly. And all that really means is you should probably do more zone two cardio and fast. Now, of course, longer fasts, a full day fast or three or four day fast. I'm not a big fan of. I think they send the system into a bit of disarray. You have something called the gut microbiome. You have trillions of bacteria living in your gut that are healthy for you. They stimulate your immune system. They're important for mood. Anyone that's taken antibiotics, you kill all that off. A lot of people feel kind of weird. A lot of people, you also have a microbiome on the surface of your skin, little bacteria running around, interacting with dogs, believe it or not. Kids that grow up with pets have healthier microbiomes than people that don't. Wow. People that play with dirt when they're kids have healthier microbiomes. We did a couple episodes on this. There's a That's good for your immune system to grow up around germs and oh, dirt, yeah. all that stuff. Okay. In commu- in places like Japan where they've severely limited interactions with dirt and microbes during development, the there's a huge outbreak of asthma and other things like kids will get one fleck of dust in their nose and wow. they and their lungs like I've never seen this before. The microbiome is is really incredible. And you have a microbiome in your nasal passages that is actually made healthier by nasal breathing. That can your nose is a better filter for viruses and bacteria than is your mouth. So, anytime I'm in a place where I'm like, oh, I don't want to get sick, you know, and I'm not a germaphobe, I will shift over to nasal breathing. And if I feel later I've got that throat tickle, I'll do that cyclic hyperventilation. Wow, man. It helps. It's not going to defeat everything, yeah, but it can really help. What about like, I'm sorry, changes? Well, you just drink water sometimes, like a water fast for like 24 hours. You were doing that like. Once a month for a while. Yeah, right? I was. I would do twenty four hours. I actually went as far as seven days doing water. Were, just water. Were you very heavy at some point? Nah. I, well, <laughs> it, 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 this is sort of this is sort of like how I roll. Like I did forty eight hours, and I was like, oh, what's next? Seventy two. What's next? Five days. What's Listen, next? It, seven I, days. And just kept going. I think for a lot of you, just water. No, I think for some people, as long as you get enough salt. Remember, you're, you're yeah. Every cell of your body requires electrolytes: sodium, magnesium, potassium. Fasting is going to be much easier, whether or not short-term or these longer fasts that you're describing when you're getting enough sodium. So I say drink water with some salt in it or element is great. Uh, 
just full disclosure, they are a podcast sponsor, but I was using them long before the podcast. Dude, come on, man. Um, love that. Anyway, just, you know, <laughs> um, but you know, I just sort of naturally intermittent fast. Like I don't, if I'm drinking caffeine and water in the morning, I like to work out in the morning if I can. Um, I generally don't want to eat my first meal until about 11 a.m. And then I try and finish my last bite of food sometime around eight or nine, but I'm not a nut about this. You know, there are times when I'm like, yeah, I like I'm a little hungry. I'm gonna have some strawberries before sleep or something. I don't yeah. get, I'm not neurotic about it, but you know, I'm also not trying to get much leaner or much bigger or anything. I just want to maintain what I've got. Yeah. And I feel pretty healthy. And to me, healthy is yeah, I can go out for a, you know, three or four mile jog um, and feel good. I can go into the gym and move some stuff around and feel good. I don't have any joint pain. I can, you know, I could push around on a skateboard and, you know, have some yeah. fun doing that. Am I going to go run with Rich Roll? Well, no, no, not, not, He's no asked chance. me too, too. I get too scared. I mean, <laughs> listen, a little point about Rich Roll. Rich Roll, anytime he's come over to my house, which is, has been a few times where people have run into him, afterwards, the women and the men comment on the beauty of his calves. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? I'm going to embarrass it. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, men and women are He's like, great men and women are like, have you seen his calves? And I'm like, you know, I'm like, what is it with Rich Roll's calves? You I know? see this guy's calves. This what, guy, exactly. What, what about like a juice cleanse where it's just green juice, okay. no sugar, just vegetables? Okay, yeah. So to close the hatch on fasting, I think it's one way to access some of the health benefits of like clearing out of dead cells, senescent cells that... It's thought to lead to enhanced longevity, but it's not the only way. You could also do uh, subcaloric, you know, portion control. It's just one way to eat. Um, and I have a colleague and friend. His name is Sachin Panda. He's down at the Salk Institute in uh, San Diego. He's a expert in intermittent fasting. And I asked him, you know, why is the eight-hour eating window, you know, the thing that everyone does? And he said, oh, that's because the graduate student in my lab, his girlfriend only let him come to the lab for eight hours a day. So he was doing all these studies for eight, eight hours. So there's nothing holy about eight hour feeding. Wow. And eight to 10 hours is reasonable. When a moment ago, I was just saying that the one meal per day, I think they call OMAD, one meal, one meal a day. Warrior diet is a bunch of names. Well, warrior diet, actually, we should give credit to Ori Hoffmeckler because he's a guy from Israeli um, uh, special forces who really was the original intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. guy at a book called The Warrior Diet. He's a vegan. Amazing guy in his late sixties, like four percent body fat. Wow! Incredibly kind human being. I've been over to his house. He lives out in Temecula, and he had all these like little dogs running around, rabbits, and a little pig. Sick. And he's and he's just like, yeah, he's he's a punk rocker. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't yeah. even know what that is. Yeah. But he was talking about intermittent fasting long before anybody. He thought this whole idea of eating multiple meals per day was crazy because he had when he was in Israeli special forces, they would eat one or two times per day. Yeah. And he was the one that taught me. Listen. Maybe when you're in your 60s, you're going to eat one meal per day because your metabolism slows down a little, not as much as we originally thought, but digestion certainly slows down. But kids should not be fasting, right? Kids are growing unless there's a, it's a direct, it's like a supported study with a physician for obesity or something. People who are very obese often do well fasting. They find that fasting makes them feel better and fasting can often make you feel more alert. Why? Because when you're fasted, you start releasing adrenaline. And so here we are again, talking about adrenaline, fasting, cold water exposure, heat exposure, exercise. These are all different forms of what's called hormesis, which is controlled the use of biological stress to which you adapt and then feel better. You asked another question and I confess it is- uh, Juice fast. Juice, juice fast. Okay, so, so fasting and cleanses. So I asked this of a colleague, Justin Sonnenberg, who's the world expert in microbiome, and he said, 
the problem with fasting and cleanses is that it clears out other you, you taking the dog oh, okay I love this dog. He loves it. I love this dog. I'm, <laughs> I'm so animal deprived lately. Like ever since Costello died, which was like the like the worst experience. Sucks. I mean, he went easy, unfortunately, but like, yeah, it's just the worst. Ever since he went um, went down, I've just I've got this thing where when I had him, other dogs were like cool. I liked them, but now that he's gone, I look at dogs the way some people look at other attractive people on the street yeah, i'm like did yeah. you see that do you see that one go by I'm like, you? i'll like pull the car over and look i'm lurking on dogs dog i'm too. lurking on yeah. dogs yeah definitely so stella's making me super happy what justin sonnenberg told me about fasting and cleanses is that you're also going to clear out some of the good healthy microbiota so you want to need now the stuff you need now the interesting thing is if you do a really intense fast or cleanse you eliminate a lot of the microbiota that are good for you and bad for you. You clear out your system. And then when it repopulates, which it does, especially if you're eating fermented foods, which we could talk about, it repopulates to a level that's healthier than before. So, so again, it's, you know, the, the way to think about biology is it's not an event. It's a process. So when you get in the hot sauna, a bunch of painful stuff happens. You excrete the stuff called dynorphin, which is the same molecule that um, alcoholics in withdrawal secrete you feel lousy it's really hot you want to get out but then afterwards you get a rebound in endorphin and dopamine goes up so it's yeah. not an event it's a process and the same thing when you fast you kill off a lot of the healthy microbiota when you do a cleanse a lot of the microbiota that you want are getting fleshed out oh, excuse me flushed out literally and then for a couple days afterward you get back on food and you might not feel as well yeah but then your microbiome comes back stronger so Interesting. You have to, it depends on when you're looking. And once you understand these transitions, then you kind of can work with these things a little bit better. Some people will do these like lemon juice cayenne fasts where they're really flushing it all yeah, out. The master cleanse. Yeah. And some people just feel better being empty. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I feel they, lighter. I, I go hiking. I enjoy when yeah. I do the fasting. Yeah. I do a lot of yeah. pushups. I feel like, like yeah. I'm born. But we're obviously we're, in shape. What do you do, by the way? What's your exercise? I, I try to do a hundred pushups a day. I do my I do my pull-ups in that room. I do my abs, and I go to Runyon Canyon. That's all I do. And when you're on tour, I do cardio every night, singing, jumping around. That's like my 45 minutes. I'm in Amazing. great shape on tour. I'll never forget one time I was—I don't think it was like a festival tour or something, but it was some tour, and I went around the side of the bus, and Brian Keenlan was there practicing his karate or something oh, and yeah, lifting yeah. weights. And I was like, no wonder he's still in shape. He does. He does it. Yeah, yeah. No, he—he—he's always looked like he's taking really good care of yeah, himself. Yeah, he's, he's always been. Yeah, in shape. nice guy. But if he wasn't, he's the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to get in a scrap with. Yeah. Because he's got a head like my bulldog Costello. You know? <laughs> he just kind of looks like he would headbutt stuff. No, he's, um, he's, always, he's always been in shape. Yeah. And but, that's, to me, I'm very impressed with people that maintain their shape over long periods of time. I've always said, you know, I'm never going to be the strongest or fastest or, you know, or person with most endurance, but I intend to be the person who's maintained fitness for the longest time. So yeah. when I go down listening to the sentence, I, I hope to be in good shape. <laughs> you've, made, you've maintained for a long time now. I've done all right. You've but turned yeah, it around. Yeah, what do you do? So, so I, I lift three days a week and I do cardio three days a week. Yeah. And I stretch a bunch. Yeah. Are you in uh, good shape? And when you're on tour? Like a lot of walking. Yeah. Like but we walk. those straps on tour. Oh, TRX straps? Yeah. yeah. So, so, but that, I bought them on one tour. So the thing with tour, it's like the best laid plans fall apart like three days into a tour. Right. Yeah. And you're eating right. potato chips and salsa. And walk in a coffee But shop. not you, because you're vegan, healthy vegan. Yeah, right? yeah, but he's pretty healthy too. Potato though. chips are vegan too. You know, the, <laughs> I would say, I don't know if you want to do tour this way, but if you could, 
I would stick to intermittent. Oh, it's gonna be tough because of your He's schedule. Done, that, you do that on yeah. So, so 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 that was something I, I I used to try to do to get on the time schedule. Yeah, because we, so, we would hit the ground right from the basically from from airport to stage. Have to stay up late, and I would try and fast for a day, mm-hmm. and then get on like the local eating schedule. You know, a really good. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that uh, that seems like a good regimen. I mean, a really terrific set of advice that I got that I keep in mind is when you travel, double down on your health practices. Yeah. A lot sure. of people when they travel, they're like, oh, I'm done with that. I'm not going to trade. If you double down on your health practices when you travel, you feel so much better and you get a lot more out of the experience. And, yeah. you know, and but I'm the nut that goes looking for a gym in Paris at like, you know, in the afternoon, people are like, what are you doing? You're in Paris. I'm like, but for me, culturally, it's kind of interesting to go to a gym in another place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll never forget the first time I went into a gym in Paris and there was an ashtray molded into the squat rack. Wow. No joke. Wow. Yeah. And I was in Costa Rica recently and there's a gym in Santa Teresa, Costa Rica, and it, it literally looks like Flintstones. They've got like rocks on the ends of wow. bars and it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Like you can make it interesting or run to, I like to run in a new city because you oh, get yeah. to see stuff. Um, so I, I, I want to step that up too when I go back on tour. I start running on tour. Yeah, yeah, I feel like after the the recent few years, the great unpleasantness is over, and we actually get back out on tour for the first time. It's going to be like starting over, and we're going to get to rebuild in a like healthier. Yeah. When do you guys set out? Oh, we, uh, July was supposed to go to Europe for like twenty shows or something. I was going to say I want to. I want to. I've, I've never seen a live at H two O show except the one in. Oh, um, we'll be out here in the June. one in um in Santa Barbara. Yeah, we'll be out here in June. Yeah, we'll be okay. here in June. June. Got to come out. I'll Do you have here. any question? More questions? Man? Nah, it's been awesome. Well, my last question, I guess, would be about just having a positive mental attitude. You seem like a person who's very positive. I, uh, I'm generally an optimist. It's taken work, you know. I. I wouldn't consider myself somebody who struggles with like deep, dark pits of depression, but I've had them genuinely that have lasted. I can feel when I'm veering towards negativity and you just have to remember that, you know, I'm a big believer in behaviors first and then expect your emotions to follow. The moment emotions start leading is usually when you get yourself into trouble. Yeah. Positive emotions too. So there's something really beautiful about realizing that behaviors can drive emotions and I try and stick to that. And I, and I do the things I try and do all the things I talk about and I'm not perfect about it. I, I, you know, I get poor night's sleep every once in a while. I sometimes eat the wrong things. I definitely sometimes say in the wrong things. And, um, but, <laughs> yeah, none it, of us are perfect, but I, yeah. but I've learned, you know, growing up, like I felt like health and personal health was about the most unpunk thing that you could do. The whole idea was to just like go down in a ball of flames. It felt like, and then over time I realized you know, that's crazy. Like the people I really admire are people that have kept it up for a long time. Maybe they had more resilience going in than I did. Yeah. So I think you build up these practices over time and then it just kind of becomes natural. But listen, I, I've been greatly inspired by the positive mental attitude thing that, you, that, you know, you've really emphasized and that others have emphasized. And um, yeah, it's a decision. And you just, it's a decision that you make over and over and again. It's not like a switch that you flip, as you know. Yeah, it's yeah. just like over and it's over. It's definitely a struggle. It's like not every day you're happy. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. How, it's how you live your life, how, how, what you eat, just everything. Yeah. You surround yourself with. Once again, it's a, it's a process, not an event. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's perfectly stated. Yeah, it's so true, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, man. That was... Oh. Let me double-check my questions. And I'm double-checking your questions going on there right here. Uh... I covered a lot was, of things, That was a, a masterclass in, Dude, was in a all fun. things health oh, and wellness. Well, thank you. Dude, I've learned. Well, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, if you Bro. get me talking about 
the bands we were talking about are about science. Yeah, man. I'm not gonna shut up. I just you know? had no idea you had such a deep punk rock background. I know. And like, 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 lifer. Like, yeah, and when you think about it, like, like punk rock and science, like they're they're both about like questioning what is the established idea, challenging Facts. it, yeah. and see if you can disprove it. So it's sort of the thread makes sense. But we, it, all I've known from punk rock is Milo, Descendants, the scientist. Now I know him. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like coming from but that still, world. But still that looking at something and being like, is that for real? Let me test it. Let me challenge it. Let me see if I can find something better. Questioning yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah questioning everything. And, and you know, you don't get any good at science unless you're asking questions that you're really excited about. You know, and to me, the whole punk rock thing is, I'm definitely not the first person to say this. I want to acknowledge that. <laughs> it's really about like being true to your heart. You know, and 100%. it's 100%. about being true to your heart. So whether or not you're like vegan or hardcore kid or you're, you know, oi punk or whatever, <laughs> it's just about you fall in love with what you love and then you just put everything you have into appreciation for that and trying to transmute that into the other things you do. So, 100%. you know, it, it's not apparent to, from the outside, but um, yeah, punk rock and, and skateboarding, but just the whole ethos around putting your heart into things is, is at the core of, of everything. Yeah. And I love that. And I love that. That's where it brought you here. We're connected by that. You know what I mean? But plus I learned so much today about so many things like questions about if I was doing the wrong thing or taking the wrong thing. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like for sure. It's fucking, it's amazing. And the lab podcast that, that drops what once a week or twice a week. Yeah. Every Monday we release an episode um, cool. on Huberman lab podcast. It's all, all the standard places. And those, those are admittedly long, you know, kind of classroom type descriptions, but we talk about a lot okay. of tools um, and we have guests on from time to time, but in general, it's me blabbing about intermittent fasting and the science of, or okay. sauna and these kind of things. And um, my hope is that people will, you know, better their lives as a consequence of learning and uh, maybe applying some it's of the tools. Very, the podcast is very actionable. Like, like when you listen to it, you come away with things that you could actually do. Even if you lead like a regular, like in quotations, non-fitness person life, so uh, thanks for putting out all that great information. Super Thank helpful you. for a lot of people. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. I truly feel like I'm in the presence of punk rock star uh, icons. <laughs> when Rich Roll introduced us the other day, he FaceTimed and you guys were there. Sick. And I, I was like, oh my God, that's Toby Morris. Like, I was like, I, you know, I was sort of thinking like, whoa, like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care about celebrity at all. But if you put me in the presence of somebody who has done something in and and for the punk rock community or the skateboard community, I'm, I sort of, I sort of gulp. My cortisol goes up a little bit. Appreciate those. Yeah. Appreciate nice. the love. Yeah. Man. It's out of respect. Thank you. Yeah. I learned about breathing through my nose and everything. Just that one thing could change so much for me. Just sleeping, just anytime I'm stressed, anxiety, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's just could, little things like that. For you, for fly it, especially yeah. some of this stuff is invaluable. Yeah. I have this crazy fear of flying. Not, not about the plane going, doing anything bad, but once I'm on the plane and, I get a nervous stomach. I always have to sit by the bathrooms in the back of the plane. And my whole band's been suffering me for 20 years, sitting with me in the back of the plane because I have this thing where I have to be by the toilet. Kids have to go to the bathroom. I've never had to go to the bathroom. I never shit my pants on the plane. It's this weird mental thing of going, of flying. Yeah. I would, I would try. I'm going to send over some things. I'm going to send over the light thing, uh, some of these supplements. Uh, I'll send those over some element and then also a hypnosis script for flying. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. No, I could really use that for real. Like, that B.A. Baracus shit. Yeah, you can yeah. do it. Listen, I um, happen to be friendly with Rick Rubin, and he told me that he... Um, Chill out, Rick yeah, Rubin. Yeah, Rick Rubin, and he, uh, who does a lot of these practices, yeah. really into this okay. kind of stuff. And he told me he meditated on a flight all the way from L.A. to New York once. So wow. just meditate. I don't think he has a fear of flying, but you know, being in the air is a great opportunity to do these practices. There's not a whole lot else to do. No, I know. It's just, yeah. it's just something with the plane. These guys always have my back on it. I bet yeah. you don't have enough oxygen. 
I'm, I'm guessing that's what's happening and it creates a kind of a tension. So the nasal breathing will be key. But it, it's a thing where you're finally in your seat and you're about to take off and they say, put your seatbelts on, you can't go to the bathroom. They shut the bathroom lights on. And it's, 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 it's that moment where they're, I'm, I'm locked in. They're telling me I can't go to the bathroom if I want to and I'm waiting to take off and I'm just sitting there. That's when I have this panic that I have to shit myself. It's so it's something about the bathroom. Interesting. Yes, man. It's well, and the first thing I learned about you when it was the projectile feces <laughs> thing. So there's somewhere around that. It just we, went full circle. We do some work I, I, around but that. But I, I know it's all mental. You know, I just know it's mental. I don't know. It's fucking. Crazy. Maybe you just need to shit your pants once just to see that it's not the end of the I, world. But I want to do that on a plane and get embarrassed. Okay, top five inspirational artists for you, musicians or bands. I know Rancid's in the number one. Yeah, easily Rancid. And, and uh, the other band and, you mentioned. And, and looked, and looked, and Tim. I don't know him, never met him. One of the just, best songwriters in my Yeah, just, I mean, he's he's like, he's truly up there with a Bob Dylan in my mind. Yeah. If you think about it. And so, Rancid. I'm going to make the Tim Armstrong meeting happen. We're going to make that happen easy. It's a done deal. That'd be amazing. I'll bring you by the studio. Okay, go ahead. Be, so, um, yeah, Rancid, 100%. What about what's up? Yeah, top five. So what oh, five of them. Okay. You mentioned um, the other band first. You yeah, really, I'm a uh, Stiff Little Fingers Stiff fan. Little Fingers, yeah. Only certain tracks. Only certain tracks. I know you're a deep diver. Deep yeah, tracks. so um, Stiff Little Fingers, any and, any and all rancid, Stiff Little Fingers specific tracks. I mean, does it have to be punk? You like, okay. uh, it just, but it will be, <laughs> <laughs> but it will be. Um, uh, Joe Strummer. Anything Strummer, especially the solo stuff. But not the Clash. We learned that today. Yeah, the, the openers, the, the open. It's sort of like muffins. You know, the top of the muffin tastes really good. Yeah. And then you get into the main part of the muffin. You kind of, a lot of those Clash songs are like that. They start so fantastically well, and then by the end, you're kind of like, uh, you're like, what happened? Interesting. So that's just me. So, but all right, um, Strummer and the Mescaleros, or anything it's Strummer. So that's three. Um, I got. I have some guilty pleasures in there. Let's I'm a, get it. I'm a big fan of that band, James, the band. Oh, English band. Yeah, English yeah. band. They have like twelve you know people, yeah. horns. Okay. Very. Yeah. It's really poppy. Yeah. Okay. They do amazing live shows. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, guilty pleasure. Pops fun. Lo- love, love, uh, love James, um, and then. Interesting. How about like an Oasis or like a poppier band? Nothing. No, does okay. nothing for me. Wow. I mean, occasionally there's a song. Oops. That was you got no Coldplay. Who? I actually can't tell you a Coldplay song. Okay. I can't tell you. No hip hop? A little bit here and there. You know, yeah, occasionally. But yeah, it doesn't feel like me. And I don't feel like it. It just, it doesn't resonate. Ramones. Okay. So if I had to, um, the Ramones song, Bongo Goes to Blitzburg or whatever that song is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's got another name too. They released it with two different names. Yeah. That song is amazing. Okay. And it's also about like the whole Reagan era politics. Yeah. Which was kind of preceded me. I was alive then, but I was too young to really get into. I absolutely love that song. And you got to love the Ramones also just for the look that they created and the fact they made everyone change their last name to Ramon. (laughs) Like like if nothing else, like like that's an amazing thing, right? And the fact that it's like one Republican guy and a Democrat and you got a guy who like sings about being a male prostitute, you know? Interesting. I mean, if people haven't heard the lyrics to 53rd and 3rd are about male prostitution, right? Fifty thousand dollars. I'm the one they never picked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's really into the lyrics and shit, man. Oh no, really. it's all deep it's all cuts. plugged in. So um, lyrics and deep. That's cuts. a good. Time. Yeah, that'll be the five, and then I, I suppose you know, um, female voice bands. You know, like I love Natalie Merchant's voice. Love She's her voice. so soothing. You Is that know, Ten Thousand Maniacs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. love her voice. You yeah. know, and um, there are a few others, but um, 
Yeah, I think that I think that's we could do a fun. part two just music, man. We just go just deep really on all things on music, deep cuts and some lyrics. Or skateboarding, you know, there's certain Skateboard. skateboarders. I mean, like, yesterday was Guy Mariano's birthday, and he put out a post. He rarely puts out posts. I mean, just the way that Guy does anything and everything, the way he pushes looks amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, and kids nowadays are doing such unbelievable stuff, flippity flip stuff. Oh yeah, but Guy just does like one basic backside lip slide and you're yeah. you're like it looks incredible this guy's, you like christian soy i like Cat. i like what he's about i've become friendly with danny way sick amazing he's like yes. an evil knievel skateboarding yeah totally um tony's a super nice guy tony Hawk. like yeah. so um yeah I've got i heard my, you hit him up after his accident yeah we're in touch okay yeah cool. you're in touch he's, he's healing really well too i saw he yeah. walked out to the oscars that. i saw that yeah into his movie premiere the other day. Yeah. He didn't slap anybody. <laughs> Had to bring it up. Um, <laughs> Oops. Yo, Chappelle, this dude's a deep diving, deep cut, ranted songs I never heard of. He's a super deep diver too. Super, yeah, man. Can't help it. Like he yeah. likes the most B-side shit. Yeah, um, I mean, if you if people haven't heard the sentence or or Ghost Dance or um, get by know. Rancid, you heard of those songs? No, oh. they're so good, and you can pro- and some of them it took me years to figure out what Tim was saying. Like when he's really slurring and singing fast yeah. and he's really angry. Those are the best songs. Yeah. Are they yeah. The yeah there's a, there's a B side. There's one called demolition sessions. There's an album called demolition sessions. I mean, I'm going to yeah. knowledge and James. Yeah. So I'm going to check out James. Yeah. Yeah. The sick, sick world album. You know that album, Sick Sick World, no. Rancid album. It's got a picture of Tim holding a coffee mug, and it says on the on the floor, "Spirit of of seventy seven. That's a record that and came out. All, yeah, Sick Sick World. Yo, I don't know any of this shit. I'm gonna deep do all deep yeah. dives, man. But I also love like Devil's Brigade. Yeah. I love all this, all the, the offshoot bastards, stuff they did. Yeah, yeah the I mean, the, I think the bastards are are amazing and were amazing. And Lars is on tour right now on a solo record too. I just saw that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's impressive and. It's just the power that he puts into things. It's, totally. Yeah, yeah. Can't fake it. I like everything yeah. he's done, all his projects, everything. Yeah. No, total total respect and admiration. And frankly, I'm just grateful to all of these people to have made all this music because it's brought me so much pleasure over I the love years. It, man. And so yeah. much soothing. Awesome. I'm yeah. honored that our music is part of a soundtrack of your life that you're helping change things in the world. It makes me so happy. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. well for me it's it been a lot. Th- thank you. Uh, truly thank you because it's it's been medicine for me it's been therapy medicine it's it's a it's a lifeline no appreciate joke. that i'm honored man yeah. adam blake thank you for being here too well, thank you for having me toby we could do a part two though anytime i could talk to you all fucking day i learned Likewise. so much i'm trying to like take notes and make sure i'm, I'm getting it all in it's lucky you recorded it isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Duh. all right thank you i'm signing thank off you. bye everybody hey guys thanks for listening um please rate review uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast please do that and whatever platform you are listening to this on i'm glad you found me you can rate me and review me on there also so thank you guys sincerely for the support i cannot wait for you guys to the next one